This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. Exile, go listen to some boring podcast where they're, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crage. Give me a name. Like Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. Like in, the, in the big spot. Who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. And welcome to the Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast. I, of course, I'm the most compelling voice in wrestling media, the king of banter, and a good family man, Joe Lanza. Rich Krejci, still suffering from the dreaded mania flu. He is not here. That's why this show is also a little bit late this week. We put it off as long as we could, waiting for Rich to recover from his mania flu. But it reached now or never status. We had to put out a show. We reached our deadline, something had to be recorded, and unfortunately, Rich cannot speak. He cannot put together a full sentence without coughing into the microphone. So, Rich is going to be a uh, did-not-play illness for this week's edition of the flagship. Of course, uh, one of the most important and most listened-to episodes of the entire year, usually number two behind the Wrestle Kingdom review is the WrestleMania weekend review. So, of course, that's when he gets sick and misses it. But that's what Rich gets for being a WrestleMania weekend noob. We all get the Mania flu the first time we go to a WrestleMania weekend. You have to build up your tolerance. You have to build up your immunities to belt mutants and handshakes and meeting a thousand different people and... Uh, neck beards. You have to build up your immunities to these things. And Rich, being a WrestleMania weekend newbie, has not built up those immunities yet. And he is uh, deathly ill over in Chicago and will not be participating in this edition of the flagship, which, by the way, is brought to you by Grapple this week. All of our show reviews will also be brought to you by Grapple. Grapple, where you can rate matches, you can check out match ratings, all you got to do is sign up, pick a username, 12 different promotions on the Grapple app now, they recently did an update on both Android and iPhone, where a lot of the bugs have been fixed, there's a more fluid design, there's an improved match filter, you can now uh, uh, select the wrestler's name and all of the matches in the database will come up for, for you to rate So uh, check out the Grapple app if you haven't. There have thousands of registered users now. As I said, there's 12 different promotions you could rate matches for. All Japan Pro Wrestling, Evolve, Impact, Lucha Underground, New Japan, OTT, Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, Progress, Rev Pro, Ring of Honor, WWE, WXW. A lot of the promotions you just saw at WrestleMania weekend, you can jump in. Uh, the, what I use the Grapple app a lot for, other than just rating matches, is to see what other people are rating matches, to see what the consensus is, to see 
look, I'm a busy man. I don't have a ton of time. I could pull up a show and check out the grapple ratings and see what matches I, I need to spend my time on and what matches I can skip. The All Japan Carnival Tournament is going on right now. All Japan is a grapple promotion. You can jump right in, go to the All Japan section, go to the carnival shows, okay? Especially if you're coming back from WrestleMania weekend. The carnival started while we were all there in New York. You're probably way behind. We're always way behind. We're wrestling fans. We can't keep up. You could just go on the Grapple app, see which carnival matches are, uh, are meeting your floor for something that's worth your time, whether that's three stars, three and a half stars, four stars, whatever it is, and it can help you cherry pick what to watch. That's exactly what I'm using Grapple for right now when it comes to the All Japan Carnival Tournament. So it's a tremendous app, and everyone should download it and use that today if you aren't already. You can find uh, myself and Rich both have profiles on the Grapple app. So you can follow along with what we are rating and what, uh, what, what stars with a Z we're throwing at all these various matches. So uh, go on your little phone there, your little iPhone, your Android, whatever it is. Go into uh, you know, whichever one you need. Download the app and start rating matches and checking out match ratings on Grapple. You can even comment. If you think I'm being a dope and I went too high or too low on something, you can you know you can comment on people's match ratings and bury them. So there's a lot of different things you could do on the app. It's a fantastic app, and all three today on this show we will be reviewing WrestleMania, the uh, Madison Square Garden, New Japan Ring of Honor show, and the NXT show. All three of those show reviews will also be brought to you by Grapple. Now let's get into the show. We got a lot to cover. And of course, we have a limited window to do so. Some house cleaning first. If you are a subscriber, and if you're not, I don't know why you wouldn't be. Go over to patreon.com slash voice of wrestling. Subscribe right now. Three different pricing tiers. Fit any budget, $1, $2, $5. We recommend the $5. It unlocks everything that we do, all of the bonus content. But if you are already a subscriber, you will notice that you have not you will not see the Thursday TV reviews. Those have been delayed. Through figuring out what we were going to do with the flagship, the Thursday TV reviews kind of got put to the side. I do have a show prepared. I have notes ready and a show formatted. There will be a Thursday TV review behind the paywall. Uh, It was just, look, the flagship was the priority, but the Thursday TV review is coming. House cleaning note number two. There will be an overrun to the flagship you're listening to right now. Captain Krejci, as his voice improves, he is going to jump in and do an overrun covering a lot of the stuff that I am not covering here on the free flagship. So uh, look for Rich to cover more of the, uh, the, uh, the, the, um, the independent shows that he attended WrestleMania weekend. I know he went to Bloodsport. People are going to want to hear about that. He's probably going to cover... Um, basically everything he went to, uh, USA versus the world. I can't think of what else Rich went to. He went to Impact. So Rich will probably take you on a tour of, of uh, his path, WrestleMania weekend, and cover some of the shows that I do not cover here on the flagship. Here's what we're going to do. In addition to reviewing WrestleMania, the Madison Square Garden show, and NXT, we'll get to all that later. In the early portion of the show, I have attendance reports from over 40 shows that took place WrestleMania weekend. I attempted to get all 53 or whatever it was. Some of the shows were just too small, 
and I could not contact the promoters. I could not contact anybody who went to the shows, so a few of them got left off. But all the key shows are here. I've got attendance reports. We're going to go over the business aspect of WrestleMania weekend uh, early on here in the show. I gathered this information from promoters, venues, fans, wrestlers. I cut through the bullshit. You guys know that we take the attendance stuff seriously. I can tell when somebody's uh, fluffing numbers or, or, or has a axe to grind and they're cutting numbers a little bit. So I feel like we've got fair, if not the, the closest possible accuracy and fair numbers you're ever going to hear are going to be right here on this show today. And I've collected them for over 40 shows. We'll get to that. And then some big picture news stories coming out of WrestleMania weekend. Uh, we'll touch on the Sasha Banks situation. Tons of WWE employees either threatening to quit or or legitimately quitting the company over the weekend, uh, which was which was wild. And then of course the Enzo Amore big cast free agents with Z situation with Ring of Honor. We will discuss that in detail. And then of course we will review the three shows, the three big shows of the weekend: WrestleMania. The MSG, show, the MSG show, and NXT TakeOver out of the Barclays Center. Uh, listen, it's WrestleMania weekend. It's always a wild time. I've been to about a half a dozen of these. And it's, it's, it's not just about the wrestling and going to a million wrestling shows. I think this year I went to eight shows, which is actually down a little bit. I usually do nine or ten. I did not go to NXT. I decided to watch that, um, you know, back in New Jersey at my brother's house. And uh, we saved our money and we ended up splurging for very expensive tickets to the Madison Square Garden show the next night. I sat uh, right there on the floor ringside. So uh, we made the executive decision to skip the NXT show and spend a little more money on MSG, which, which I thought was a decision that worked out. As you'll hear later on in the show, the Mass Square Garden show, for me personally, was the greatest wrestling experience of my life. In terms of seeing great matches, seeing wrestlers that I've never seen before, seeing an IWGP heavyweight title change right before my eyes. I had never seen Okada live before that previously either. Uh, incredible heat. I have never been part of a hotter crowd than I was part of at Mass Square Garden. Um, so apparently, it didn't come across on, on either of the streams. Um, I can't speak to that. I have not watched the show back yet. Live in that building, that crowd was red hot. And I mean red hot. From the from the New Japan Ring of Honor Rambo match right through to the end of the main event and Okada's off-camera speech, red hot crowd for five and a half hours. Don't know how they sustain their energy. Hot for everything, too. Hot for everything, too. I know a lot of people are dumping on the, the Ring of Honor portion of the show. I might have some conflicting opinions on some of that stuff. Uh, but I can tell you this. There were Ring of Honor fans in that building, and they were hot for all of the Ring of Honor stuff. Don't let anybody tell you different. If you were in that building, you know that the Ring of Honor stuff, the ladder match, Matt Taven, um, the, the, the Bully Ray street fight, all that stuff was over. All you know, Fans were hot for that stuff. So you know, don't let anybody you know, tell you that that was a 100%. Listen. Most of the people there were there to see New Japan. There's no question about it. But I got to be fair. There were plenty of New Japan fans. I was sitting around a bunch of of, uh, of Matt Taven fans and Ring of Honor fans. I mean, they were there in full force. But we'll get more into that when we review the show itself. 
but went to a bunch of other shows as well. I went to eight shows total. And WrestleMania weekend is also as much about the wrestling as it is as that once-a-year gathering to see friends that you see once a year and uh, you know meet new friends, meet listeners of the show. And that really, you know, I wasn't even going to go this year because of the logistics of New York. And by the way, I'm taking a victory lap on that one, okay? Because when they announced that this WrestleMania weekend was going to New York, I very publicly said that this was going to suck. Logistics were going to stink. Venues were going to be spread out. Transportation was going to be an absolute nightmare. Um, You know, New York is just too big. The New York area is just too vast when it comes to New Jersey, five different boroughs and everything else. The dopey, filthy, disgusting subway that everybody was forced to, to use. The confusing... And, 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 and nasty, downright nasty, the subway's disgusting, okay? The downright nasty subway, confusing and everything else. I, listen, I warned everybody, people got on my case, and the feeling come out of WrestleMania weekend is what? That New York was an absolute disaster and transportation was uh, fucking impossible. I mean, so I'm taking my victory lap on that. I knew this is exactly how it would play out. Trying to, you know, crisscross between states, and uh, trying to get to Jersey City, trying to get the Rawway, trying to you know bounce between five boroughs, train hopping. It, it, just, it was an absolute disaster. And there were horror stories. And it was one of these WrestleMania weekends where I am someone who prides myself on never missing a match. I missed matches all over the place. It was impossible not to. You had to leave shows early. You, had, you, know, you were getting to shows late because trains weren't running on time. I completely skipped the House of Glory show, the Hog show, because... You know, that day, that particular train just wasn't running. We get to the subway and we're told that that train just isn't running from where we were coming from. So I missed an entire show because of shitty New York City transportation. Okay, and and, and the shitty layout of all these shows. You had shows at like nine different venues, which is absolute nonsense. Compare that to New Orleans last year where there were basically two venues. There was the WrestleCon venue and the Gabe venue. And they were, it was a 20-minute ride up the highway. Couldn't have been easier, whether you rented a car, taking an Uber, whatever. And WWE Access, if that's your thing, was literally across the street from WrestleCon. New Orleans was a dream. I wish they were in New Orleans every year in the same exact buildings they were in last year. Couldn't have been easier. Simple. No subways. No bouncing around between states and boroughs. Dallas. The two venues in Dallas were literally across the street from each other. Anyone who went to Dallas knows the Eddie Dean's Ranch and then the hotel that WrestleCon were on. Wrestlers were literally walking across the street in their gear to get to the next match in Dallas. It couldn't have been more perfect. You park your car at the Eddie Dean Ranch and you just walk back and forth between the two venues all weekend long. It was beautiful. Then you get to New York and you've got shows in a dozen different venues spread out between four boroughs in two different states. It's crazy. It's crazy, you know? And if you're a native New Yorker and you're familiar with the subways and you know how to bounce around, no big deal to you. But what about the dude from Nebraska who's never been on a train in his life, let alone trying to navigate the New York City subway system? What about the guy from fucking, you know, Kazakhstan? Coming in for WrestleMania. I don't know how many people came in from Kazakhstan. But what about the guy coming in from Germany or Ireland or Poland or, you know, the UK or, you know, or whatever. You know, a foreign country. Japan. Chile. Peru. It's intimidating. And it's hard and it's not easy. 
You know, so, you know, New York was a mess. And I got to tell you, I talked to a lot of people, including the captain. He'll never go back to New York. Not for WrestleMania weekend or otherwise. I'll let him speak to that on his own, but it was a nightmare for him. And he's from Chicago. It's not like he's from, you know, it's not like he lives out in a cornfield. Okay, so it's just, I don't know. I don't think New York, look, it's great business for these promotions to run in New York, but it's a bad fan experience to run in New York City. Just not good from that perspective. But uh, met a lot of people, of course, met back up with a lot of the Voices Wrestling crew, met John Carroll for the first time, uh, the Pearl Cast Boys, uh, Joel and Damon, finally met those guys. They were tagging around with, uh, with Real Hero Eric. Real Hero Eric, let me tell you, that's a guy... And I told one of my friends, I, I pointed out, I said, see that guy right there? He said, yeah. I said, that guy, if he wanted to, can shut down, uh, you know, Western access to Japanese wrestling. All he has to do is snap his finger. All he has to do is get tired of it, and nobody would see any of these Japanese wrestling shows anymore. That guy standing right there, that unassuming man right there, controls everything. He, he just, you know, he's pulling the strings. So finally met him, had lovely conversations uh, with all of these people. Ricardo Gallegos from the site, uh, incredibly nice man, brought gifts for everybody from Mexico, and uh, watched a bunch of shows with him. Iron Mike Spears, of course, uh, always a Mania Weekend regular. The Communist Aarons, uh, spent a little bit of time with both of the Communist Aarons. Um, Aaron Bentley actually walked in on a very uncomfortable conversation I was having with my wife. I'm on the phone with my wife. Bentley comes up to me. Uh, you know, my wife is uh, being very horny on the phone and attempting to uh, have phone sex with me in the in the hallway of the uh, WrestleCon Hotel. And, uh, you know, in, in jest, of course. And, uh, you know, Aaron Bentley's walking in on this, but he doesn't know what's going on. So, uh, so uh, Bentley there, and, and this is a shoot. This is a real story. I know it sounds like utter nonsense. But Aaron Bentley thought he was walking in on a uh, phone sex conversation between me and the lovely Brittany. Uh, so I ran into Aaron Bentley over the weekend. Sean Cedor was there. And I'm just going off the top of my head here. I know I'm going to forget people, and I don't mean to insult anybody. The producer, Andrew Rich, finally met him. Uh, Andrew Rich gets into town late, gets settled into his, uh, his, uh, you know, his, uh, his room there. And he's got tickets to Evolve, which was the first show of the weekend. And he literally walked into the Evolve show as the count of three in the main event was hitting the mat. And he literally missed the entire show. Walked in as, uh, you know, the the main event winner is getting their hand raised. So, uh, Andrew Rich, $40 well spent there as he walks in to see the post-match promo on uh, on the Evolve show. Uh, Joe Gagne. Met Joe Gagne finally. Watched a bunch of shows with him, um, you know, in, in the boom and, uh, and everything else. Had lunch a couple times with him. So finally met the Joe Gagne, uh, met, you know, ran at the Cubs fan again. Saw him at previous WrestleMania weekend. Saw him again. Uh, Taylor Mainberg met him for the first time. And then, uh, you know, then there's the listeners, the Isle of Man guy. Always fun running into the Isle of Man guy. Talking about sports and gambling as he's getting drunk watching wrestling. Rich Lata and the Social Suplex guys, they were bouncing around WrestleCon's venue all weekend long, having a lot of fun. Those guys are rowdy, uh, just enjoying their wrestling. Sean Flynn, of course, who was Rich Krejci's chauffeur all weekend long. Those guys were brave. They bounced around in a car. They're driving around Manhattan in a car going from venue to venue. So uh, finally the firm handshake 
from uh, from Sean Flynn. There was the dude at the WXW show. I'm standing there watching WXW, minding my own business. The guy standing next to me turns to me and goes, hey, are you Joe Lanza? I said, I am, and I have no idea how the fuck you know that. I don't know how these people recognize me. So he got a firm handshake. I then made it a point to go ask that guy his name before I left so I would remember him so I could talk about him here on the show. And I know he's listening. He says he listens every week. And, dude, I already forgot your name. So I'm just terrible with names. So, uh, dude from WXW Show, how you doing? So, uh, yeah. And then, you know, a million other people who I'm sure I'm forgetting and I'm sure you're insulted. I'm sure you're never going to listen again. Um, but again, I ain't writing any of this down. I'm just going off the top of my head here. Of course, there was the guy. Here's a story for you. This will terrify most of you. I'm speaking with a, uh, I'm meeting a listener at one of the shows, and he's telling me that he listens to the flagship every week with his eight-year-old daughter. His eight-year-old daughter listens to the flagship with him, and he brought his family to WrestleMania weekend. His daughter, who's eight years old, by the way, I, sh- I stress that because I shudder at the thought of this eight-year-old girl listening to, you know, Rich and I talk about fuck chairs and hotel rooms and all the other shit that comes up on this show. Uh, She's a big fan of New Japan. Her favorite wrestler is Evil. This sounds like the coolest eight-year-old of all time. Um, And when she found out that Rich and I were going to be at WrestleMania weekend, she told her old man that she wanted to meet us. So... This dude brought his eight-year-old daughter. I don't know if they ever, if, you know, Rich wasn't there, but um, but I, I met her anyway. So I met an eight-year-old fan of the show who uh, was incredibly shy but incredibly cute. Uh, they're from Nova Scotia where there's a lot of lobster fishing going on. So she brought me a lobster claw as a little gift. And, uh, yeah, so I met an eight-year-old fan who may be listening right now at this moment uh, but uh, hopefully her father covers her ears and does the earmuffs for, for a lot of the content on this thing. But it's just little things like that that make up the flavor of WrestleMania weekend aside from just the shows themselves. And um, I had a great time hanging out and watching wrestling with everybody. And of course, I'm burying the lead here. The first time ever meet up between Lanza and Krejci, which, again www.patreon.com slash voices wrestling $5 level you can witness the handshake heard around the world the first ever handshake between Lanza and Krejci at the WrestleCon venue we put it behind the paywall because we are nothing if not whores and uh, you know we will shake every dollar out of you but you can see uh, Lanza and Krejci meet for the first time which by the way is a work we actually met the night before at the Impact Show in Rawway, New Jersey, if you really want the truth of the matter. But, uh, you know, that was at like 1 o'clock in the morning, and we were dead tired. And, you know, we hyped up that we were going to do the handshake at USA versus the world, so that's where we eventually did it. But we actually met at the Impact Show uh, the night before in Rawway, where Big Time and Krejci, okay, he gets a hold of, uh, you know, TNA. He, he contacts Garrett Kidney, all right? And uh, Garrett Kidney puts in a little word there to Ross Foreman. Krejci gets on the media list for the Impact show. Doesn't think to put Lanza on it. Don't worry about Lanza. We'll make him pay. Okay? Doesn't think to add Joe Lanza to the media list. So Krejci gets to the show. I'm like, where are you? He's like, I'm sitting in the media section. I'm like, oh, hold on now. Media section? What the hell are you talking about? 
He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, I talked to this guy, talked to that guy. We, you know, I got the, we got credentialed, and we're sitting in the media section. But what about me? You didn't think to put me on that list? He's like, ah, oh, nah, fuck you. You're on your own. I'm like, what the hell? Thanks a lot, Krejci. So, you know, I went over there to the fancy media section to hang out with Krejci. Surprised they let me up there. And uh, we actually met at Impact the night before. So, But the handshake heard around the world, of course, took place at USA versus the world the next afternoon. And then uh, I guess, I don't know, Rich and I watched uh, two or three shows together. We had slightly different schedules which I think works out for the flagship because then we can talk about different things and whatnot. So um, as I said earlier, Krejci will be be doing an overrun to this show talking about some of the topics that I I can't get to or shows that I didn't attend. Rich went to that blood sports show, which I wanted to go to. It's just that, you know, as we talked about last week, Jersey City was just – too far out of the way and I didn't want to bounce back and forth so but I heard that was incredible so I know Krejci uh, at minimum will be talking about uh, blood sport during the overrun alright but let's get into it here first thing I want to touch on attendance we've gathered attendance figures like I said from promoters from venues from wrestlers from fans I we did the best we could with every one of these shows we're confident that a lot of these are are accurate but uh, let's start with the WWN venue, LaBoom. Uh, the capacity for the building was 650. And we know for a fact that DDT sold out ahead of time. DDT did a full 650. We were also told that Shimmer was an eventual sellout. So 650 for Shimmer as well. Evolve, we were told 95% capacity. So we're going to call that 620. Because... There were 619 seats available on the ticketing site. We know that DDT and Shimmer did 650 with some standing room. So uh, we're going to call Evolve somewhere between 600 and 620 for Evolve. Uh, very nice job out of Evolve. If you remember, tickets were, uh, were, were lagging behind for the Evolve show, but through walk-up and everything else, they ended up basically having a full house. So again... For all of the pounding that Evolve has taken since they've uh, rebooted and, and have been using WWE wrestlers, their attendance is up across the board. Their attendance is up across the board. You've got to give them credit for that. Buzz is down. In certain circles, people have hand-waved Evolve and don't pay attention anymore, and I get it. But it is, without question, been a positive business move. WXW... Uh, based on the percentage we were given, because they wouldn't give us the attendance figures, but they gave us percentages on how full the house was. We've pegged WXW anywhere between 370 and 400 for WXW. I was at the WXW show. Uh, unlike Evolve, where there were zero empty seats and it was uh, standing room, there were empty seats at the WXW show. I thought it was going to be more dire than it actually was based on the pre-sale. But uh, it actually was a, a decent crowd, and they drew between uh, 370 and 400. WWN Super Show, we've got pegged at 320 to 350. I was not at that show. And Kaiju Big Battle was about 325. And the, uh, the show that uh, was the least attended of the, of the LaBoom show. So that covers LaBoom and WWN. Over at the Collective, we were told the total... Capacity was 690. 
I've got the numbers for all the shows, and they were very hit and miss. Family Reunion, which opened up the weekend, did uh, around 200, maybe a tad below. A lot of issues there noted to us. Uh, flight delays, uh, you know, so a lot of ticket holders uh, never made it to the show. Um, so around 200, maybe a little bit less for Family Reunion. Bloodsport, 700 plus, full house. Super no vacancy, full house for Bloodsport, 700 plus. ISW did about 360. AIW, nice house, a tad under 500. One of the better attended shows of the collective, a tad under 500 for AIW, which I have not seen the show. I was also told that the show was an outstanding show uh, from everybody who attended. And they drew a nice house of about 500 fans as well. So a nice job out of AIW putting butts in the seats and uh, and putting up a decent show. I have not seen the show. People have asked me if I've seen the show. Um, I may not ever watch the show. I may not ever get it. It's just a promotion that I don't pay that much attention to. So it's not high on my priority list, and i got a bunch of other shows to get to. But apparently it was a, a good crowd, 500 fans, a hot crowd, and they were given a good show. Chikara, 300-ish. 300-ish for Chikara. i got to tell you, Chikara... You know, if this were five, six years ago, you got to think they would have done better than this. It's just Chikara has just fallen off of people's minds over the last half decade or so. It's just not a promotion. It used to be an upper tier, one of the first indie promotions you would think of. Chikara is really, at this point, all about their hardcore base, and, and, and really no one else really pays attention to it. So about 300 fans for Chikara. Black Label Pro, I was told a tad under 400 for Black Label Pro, so a fair number for them. Joey Janela, Spring Break 1, over 700, super no vacancy, uh, full house for Joey Janela, Spring Break 1, which sold out instantly when those tickets were put on sale. Joey Janela, Spring Break 2, I was told the number was almost full capacity, about 660. This show was clearly hurt by taking place um, staggered with New Japan and ROH over at MSG. I think uh, there were some ticket holders who never made it to Joey Janela's Spring Break 2 and some people who simply chose the MSG show instead. Uh, maybe they got their Joey Janela you know, uh, fix on night one, but night two with the clusterfuck and all that, still a tremendous house of, uh, of 660 there. Orange Cassidy show replacing the Nova Pro show. Uh, a huge success, uh, anywhere from 600 to 620 fans for that one. So near full capacity, almost certainly drew better than the show it replaced would have drawn. And also rave reviews for that. I haven't seen it. That's another show I probably will not get to. I've seen a couple of matches off of it. I saw the 7 out of 13 falls match and things like that. But, uh, you know, look, I heard it was a real fun show if that's what you're into. Obviously, the comedy stuff, the irony stuff isn't exactly my cup of tea. I can only take so much of it. So, um, you know, I'm not going to watch all these shows. I'm going to try to get to a lot of them. But a tremendous job, a tremendous job by Game Changer Wrestling, who are, you know, one of the big winners of the weekend. I mean, you know, putting together this show on short notice and nearly filling the house. Just a great job. IWS uh, did not do well. I got an exact total of 108, 108 tickets sold for IWS. Um, it was the least attended show at the collective, and it uh, just did not work out from a business perspective. And then, of course, Blackcraft, which Rich is writing a piece on, he was at that show, and that was an absolute. 
I don't even know what to make of the Black Craft show. Um, just a disaster. Rich is going to write about it. Um, he has contacted a lot of people that worked on the show, people behind the scenes, the promoter, everybody. He's talking to everyone. And he's going to have an oral history of sorts of the Black Craft show coming up on the site sometime in the next week or two. He's taking his time putting it together. And I've seen the research and I've seen some of the interviews he's done. It's going to be a real interesting piece on the Black Craft show, which seemed to uh, be one of the most talked about shows of the weekend and maybe not for all of the right reasons. But they drew a nice house, 575 for Black Craft in the middle of the night there in Jersey City, running up against the curfew. So a mixed bag out of the collective. The stuff that you thought were going to knock it out of the park, your blood sports, your Joey Janela spring breaks, knocked it out of the park. Tremendous job by Game Changer putting together the Orange Cassidy show at the last minute and, uh, and doing tremendous business with that. Um, AIW drew a house that they were very pleased with. Should also note that AIW said they did a 1,000 iPay-per-view buys or streams and uh, ended up having a, uh, a, a weekend where uh, they made a little bit of money, so good for them. And uh, Black Label Pro, a shade under 400. Some of the other shows didn't do as well. But, uh, but look, we talked about it in the previews. And we got in trouble for saying it, but I'm going to say it again. There were just too many shows, and some of them were bound to fail. And quite honestly, and if you didn't think I was going to double down, then you don't know anything about me. I think it's a good thing that some of these shows did not did not work out. And wait till you hear some of these other ones that we're going to get to. I mean, these collect some of these collective shows aren't even the tip of the ice. Some of these other promotions dream of drawing what some of the collective shows draw. But my point here is some of these shows that didn't work out, it's not a bad thing. We need to thin the herd a little bit. You know, this was, um, there were way too many shows. Talent was spread too thin. Fans were spread too thin. Um, you know, so it, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world that a lot of these shows bombed. And we haven't even gotten to some of the shows that bombed, uh, you know, tremendous to the point where, you know, we'll get to it. Anyway, so that's the collective. Let's bounce over to WrestleCon. The Fire code total attendance, uh, total capacity rather, was 2060. So 2060 was all they could squeeze in there. Uh, the Hilton was a real pain in the ass. They didn't allow pancakes at the Pancakes and Pile Driver show. Um, so, you know, they really held them firm to both not only the, the total capacity, but also little things like that. Um, WrestleCon is also... Uh, they do everything by the book, as you saw with the visa issues. Several shows started late because, again, they do everything by the book, and ambulances weren't there uh, as per the New York State Athletic Commission. So uh, 2060 was the uh, total capacity for WrestleCon. So let's go through them. The WrestleCon Super Show, uh, 2,000 tickets sold for the WrestleCon Super Show, give or take a handful of tickets. A $100,000 gate so congratulations to the guys at WrestleCon. Congratulations uh, to the WrestleCon Super Show. They had a goal of doing a $100,000 gate, and they did it. About 2,000 fans there for that. Pancakes and Pile Drivers, I think this was, uh, what was it? I was at that show. The worst show I went to all weekend, by the way, was Pancakes and Pile Drivers. I did not have a good time at that show. 1,000-plus, uh, though, it was a uh, financial success for sure at Pancakes and Pile Drivers. Rev Pro, another show I attended, 1,000 uh, for Rev Pro as well, Joey Ryan's penis party. I was told a uh, thousand plus tickets were sold, but they don't think a thousand plus people showed up. 
So uh, a thousand plus tickets sold, but a few less than that actually in the building for the Joey Ryan penis party. And USA versus the world, this was an interesting one because this is a tricky one to track. And uh, supposedly 250 tickets sold. Now, if you were at that show, you know damn well there were more than 250 people there. I mean, it looked like, excuse me, similar capacity to RevPro and Pancakes. So it looked like there were about 1,000 people in the building. What happened with the USA versus the World show is a lot of the people at that show had simply purchased the uh, the WrestleCon wristbands, which also granted you access to the convention. I was one of them. I was a walk-up customer, and I could not buy a ticket to USA versus the World. I had to buy a forty-dollar wristband, which granted me access to the entire event, meaning the conventions, the signings. And the wrestling show. So USA versus the world was a little different than the other WrestleCon events in that uh, if you were a walk-up customer, you could not simply buy a ticket to the event. So uh, that 250 number is deceiving. I was there. I saw how many people were there. And it was just about the same attendance as the other non-Super Show events. So for WrestleCon, we got the WrestleCon Super Show drawing the $100,000 gate with the capacity full house, and then the other four shows doing about a thousand each. A successful uh, weekend for WrestleCon for sure. And really, look for WWN as well. You know they had a very successful weekend. Two of the shows were super no vacancy full house. The Evolve show was essentially a sellout. Um, and and you know WXW did okay, did a lot better than people thought it was going to do based on the the presale. Uh, the other two shows didn't do so hot. They were about, you know, 50% capacity. So a good weekend for WWN, an excellent weekend for WrestleCon. And Collective, look, there were what? How many shows at Collective? Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There's 11 shows at the Collective. Four or five of them did tremendous. A couple of them did eh, okay, and a couple of them bombed. So uh, out in Jersey City. Uh, you know, a bit of a mixed bag. Let's bounce over to Rawway, New Jersey. There were four shows in Rawway, New Jersey. You want to talk about shows bombing. The chaotic, the chaotic wrestling show, which if you remember on our previews, uh, really had only announced Tommy Dreamer and Jordan Grace and nothing else. And then we had to get the card. The promoter was gracious enough to send us the entire card, which we then reported um, on one of our previews last week. But that show, this is what I'm talking about, 50 50 fans was the estimate for the Chaotic Wrestling Show in Rowway, New Jersey. An absolute bomb, which is a shame because that was a charity show. So I'm not going to sit here and bang on that one real hard. They were raising money for Connor's Cure. But um, look, poorly promoted. There's no other way to get around it. Nobody knew what the card was. Nobody knew what the card was. And again, this is an example of what I'm talking about of too many shows. And it will be better if there's a survival of the fittest aspect to this. A, a, uh, a trimming of the fat and some of these shows go away because then someone like Jordan Grace could have worked a different show in that slot. It just thins out the talent on the shows because, there, you know, there's four shows going on at once at all times and the talent is spread thin. So Jordan Grace, who's a nice little wrestler, instead of wasting, you know, that slot working in front of 50 people on the chaotic show, I don't remember off the top of my head what was going head-to-head with Chaotic, but she could have been on another show having a nice little match in front of more paying fans. And this is what I'm talking about. 
instead of having four or five shows in some cases going against each other and the talent spread thin, we can get all of that talent on one or two shows and have better lineups and better shows. So I will not walk that back. There is part of, look, I don't want to see people lose money. I have nothing against any of these promoters. But it's better for everyone if some of these promotions that cannot compete and cannot sell tickets go away. The only people it's not good for, I guess you could argue, are the talent. But let me tell you something. You think if the chaotic show goes away that Jordan Grace isn't getting booked? Give me a break. Don't worry about the wrestlers. Your top-line wrestlers are going to get their bookings, and they're going to make their money. Maybe some of the lower-level wrestlers who are filling out these shows that we're forced to watch, maybe they won't get booked as much. But your top-line indie stars, okay, if there were 35 shows, which is still too many, instead of 55 shows this weekend, they're all going to... You don't think Pentagon and Phoenix are still going to get booked eight times? Don't worry about the wrestlers. They're going to be fine. But the shows are going to be better, and it's going to be a better experience all around for you, the fan. And let me tell you something. If it was trimmed all the way back, and there was only 15 shows, let's say, and, you know, maybe Pentagon and Phoenix only get to work four or five times, maybe we get better performances out of these wrestlers. And I'm not knocking the wrestlers. I don't blame LAX on their ninth match of the weekend mailing one in. I don't blame them at all. They're human beings. They're tired. They're exhausted. I heard horror stories of wrestlers getting back to hotel rooms at 3 o'clock in the morning, and then they have to wrestle at 11 a.m. And they have to wrestle at 11 a.m. because then they got to hustle out of that venue to get to a venue in another state by 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then they have to work the opener on that show to hustle back to fucking Manhattan to work a show at 7 o'clock. And it's too much. The wrestlers are overworked. By the middle of the second day, they're mailing it in. And again, I don't blame them. And fans are getting subpar shows. Subpar lineups. Subpar efforts. And shows filled out with talent that doesn't belong. You saw the lineups. We had fun with them. So no, I will not walk it back. Ever. There were too many shows, and it's a good thing that some of these shows failed. And yet, with all of that said, I talked to one of the most prominent promoters of WrestleMania weekend, and it's not who you think. And they told me that despite the fact that some of these shows, and we'll get to the right, there are some some more that bombed tremendously. Despite the fact that a lot of these shows didn't work, and despite the fact that some of these promoters admit that they lost money, that a lot of them are coming back next year. So, you know, I don't think it'll be as crazy as it was this year. I think a lot of it had to do with the market. But, you know, unfortunately, I don't know if this bloat is going to go away. Anyway, we continue on in Rawway. CCW versus WrestlePro. I was given an estimate of uh, slightly below 300 for that one. Impact, which I did attend, 1,000 plus. Easily over 1,000 people in that building. Uh, the bleachers were full. This is the Rawway Rec Center. 
this has housed indie wrestling for, for many, many years. If you're an independent wrestling fan, you've seen a million different shows either live inside of that building or on DVD or whatever the case. And you know the bleachers I'm talking about. Those were packed. Um, the entire floor was filled, and it was a standing room-only crowd for Impact. Impact, one of the big winners of the weekend that nobody is talking about. They drew one of the biggest crowds of the weekend. I mean, definitively, what do we got? We got, let's see. There's one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, There's four shows which definitely drew more fans than Impact and like three more that might have drawn more. That's it. They may have been the fifth most attended show of the weekend. Somewhere between like five and eight is where Impact would fall. And three of the shows ahead of them are, you know, Madison Square Garden, WrestleMania, and NXT. So, tremendous job by Impact. Drawing one of the biggest crowds of the weekend. In a venue, by the way, where nothing else drew. The fourth show in Row A, the WrestlePro Funny Equals Money. We were given an estimate of anywhere between three and 400. That number, some have told me, is very dubious, and they think that less people than that were there. So, um... Outside of Impact, nothing else in Rawway drew. So it's not like Impact had the benefit of strong lead-in shows, people hanging out in Rawway all weekend long. No, people specifically came to Rawway to see this Impact show, and they came in big numbers. And a nice job out of Impact 2, getting everybody out of there in time for the last train. Because that show started at 11 o'clock at night. It had to be over by a certain time. It was about a 10-minute walk to the train station to get back to New York. And the Sabu-Rob Van Dam versus Lucha Bros match, they went about 8 or 9 minutes and gave everybody a good 15, 20 minutes to get out of the building and get to the train. Tremendous job by Impact all around. I was very impressed with both the crowd. It was a fun show. The main event was perfect. You don't want to go longer than 8 or 9 minutes with Rob Van Dam and Sabu in 2019. Okay, They did a 1998... Rob Van Dam versus Sabu match. They played the hits. They went through tables. They did their big spots. It was totally inoffensive fun. And they were in and out in nine minutes. Perfect length for that match. You don't want to go 20 minutes with Rob Van Dam and Sabu in 2019 at one o'clock in the morning. So tremendous job out of impact. Um, One of the clear winners along, you know, I talked about Game Changer Wrestling. I talked about WrestleCon drawing a $100,000 house. Uh, Gabe bouncing back with three sellouts. Um, You know, know, Impact drawing a thousand plus in Rawway. One of the clear winners of the weekend. So that's the Rawway venue. And now we go to some of the miscellaneous shows. Let's start with the big ones. WrestleMania, the announced attendance, 82,265. Obviously, that's bullshit. Uh, Nobody has Dave Meltzer, at least. I haven't seen. I've been keeping tra- dibs on him. He doesn't have the official attendance yet, but just basing on the last time WrestleMania ran this venue, the the actual uh, ticket sold was 68,900. This looked to be about the same. So somewhere between, uh, for WrestleMania, we could say between 65,000 and 70,000 tickets sold. We do know that the gate was 16.9 million, the second biggest gate, in the, uh, the history of wrestling. So obviously WrestleMania 35, an enormous financial success. There's no counter argument to that. New Japan, Ring of Honor, and Madison Square Garden, 16,534 fans, full house, super no vacancy, sold out. Uh, being in the building, they even sold some obstructed view seats. 
uh, in the corners, sort of behind the stage. So they had an overflow where they had opened up um, some of those obstructed view seats. So a knock it out of the park success for both Ring of Honor and New Japan in Mass Square Garden, 16,534. Total gate of over $1 million. First uh, promotion uh, in the United States to draw a million dollar gate other than WWE. According to Dave Meltzer, WCW never drew a million dollar gate. So, again, one of the big winners here was Ring of Honor in New Japan, drawing 16,000 plus to Madison Square Garden. And, you know, I got to say, a couple weeks ago, we had people arguing with us saying, you know, all the tickets on the secondary market, maybe there'd only be 9,000 people there, where those people are taking a big giant L. I mean, you know, take your L. Uh, 16,000 plus in the building. Um, All those secondary market tickets, which one of which I purchased, by the way, uh, all ended up uh, in fans' hands asses in the seats and just a uh, a tremendous job by New Japan and Ring of Honor filling the building there uh, for their show Mass Square Garden NXT 13,600 tickets sold 15,697 total in the house again that's a super no vacancy sellout at the Barclays so the three big shows of the weekend knocked it out of the park there's no counter argument all three of those shows uh, just killed it and there's really not much more to analyze. Let's look at some of the other fringe shows over the course of the weekend. IPW UK with the Jimmy Havoc, James Storm bar fight main event, which didn't even happen because Jimmy Havoc was pulled off of all of his shows after a nasty cut on his elbow doing death matches all over the place, one of which I saw on Rawway against Sammy Callahan. So the main event didn't even happen. This was the show that was selling tickets for one pound, which came out to, I think, 67 cents uh, in U.S. dollars. You can get into this show for 67 cents. They were handing out free tickets to this show all over the place, trying to paper the thing. And from every report, from people waiting to enter the building for the next show, there was 12 to 15 fans at the IPW UK show. Safe to say they won't be back in Tampa. Stardom. 650 for Stardom. Massive house. Tremendous job out of them. Told it was basically a sellout for Stardom. So 650 for Stardom. Fight Club Pro X Destiny. 89 fans. The official attendance for Fight Club Pro uh, Destiny's joint show. 89 fans. Another colossal bomb there. Murder Mania. Didn't get reports on all of them. Murder Mania Night 1, I was told just south of 100 fans. Murder Mania Night 2, about 120 fans for Murder Mania. Capital Wrestling on Sunday. Remember, they ran Sunday afternoon before WrestleMania. They drew 60 fans. So another colossal bomb from Capital Wrestling there, drawing 60 fans on Sunday afternoon. The Lucha Show. Out in Guapo's gym in the Bronx. Yes, we got the attendance for the Lucha Show out in Guapo's gym. 250 a sellout for the Lucha Show in Guapo's gym. And that's with ticket prices ranging from $25 to $55. That show killed it. How about that? The Lucha Show out in the middle of the Bronx. Nice job out of them. Pizza party Wednesday night, we're told. 140 tickets sold. For Pizza Party Wrestling, which, from what I understand as well, was a pretty fun show. Hog, 650 plus for Hog. 
Amazing Red ended up not working that show. He retired in the middle of the weekend, which was bizarre. So he ended up not wrestling Phoenix on that show. I would, I would, you know, assume that a lot of out of towners bought tickets to the Hog Show to see Amazing Red versus Phoenix. But I was also told by people who attended that it was a strong local draw. A lot of the Hogs, a lot of Hogs regular fans attended, and they did a nice job drawing 650 for Hog. And uh, that is your attendance report for WrestleMania weekend. You could see that some of these shows bombed tremendously to the point where promoters just completely lost their ass. We had some mixed bags and we had some very clear successes, whether it was, uh, you know, obviously the big three shows, um, you know, sold every ticket and did a tremendous job. But outside of that, the WrestleCon Super Show with the $100,000 gate, um, the, the Game Changer shows that the collective knocked it out of the park, um, you know, Everybody's favorite whipping boy, you know, Gabe Sapolsky ended up drawing three sellouts. So, and Impact, of course, drawing over a thousand fans in Rawway, I thought was, uh, was was shocking when I walked in the building, and a huge win for them. So, um, a lot of people did very well. Uh, game Changer has literally been that over the last three years at WrestleMania weekend. They have changed the game. They have changed the game, and um, you know, we'll see how long this can sustain for them. Uh, with the type of shows that they're doing. It, it, it It's funny because Game Changer really doesn't run like their standard, regular Game Changer deathmatch-style show at WrestleMania weekend. They run the Janela shows and stuff like the Orange Cassidy show and Bloodsport. And, you know, it, it's funny. They still have that in the bag. Like, they can still run traditional Game Changer shows if if, if they wanted to. And, and But they've just been so enormously successful with some of these different concepts. So uh, that's your attendance report for WrestleMania weekend. And if, if there were any shows that I didn't mention, and anybody, whether you're a promoter, a wrestler, a fan, uh, and you've got some numbers for us for any of the shows that we didn't get numbers for, uh, the DMs are still open. And uh, we would love to hear and uh, do an update if we can get the attendance on the uh, on the rest of the shows. Anyway, let's move on. We've got some news coming out of WrestleMania weekend that we need to talk about. WWE, we've got wrestlers and employees quitting the company left and right or threatening to quit the company. So we've got some personnel updates. First of all, it looks like the Usos have re-signed with WWE. The reports are the Usos, who many thought might walk out of there, have re-signed with the company. In a totally non-related matter, they lost the tag team titles on SmackDown right after that news came out. I'm sure it's a coincidence. Calm down. So the Usos have re-signed. But we had at least three, well, four, actually four wrestlers or employees either quit or threaten to quit this weekend, which is wild. I'm sure you've heard about by now R.D. Evans basically quit or fired, whichever version of the story you want to believe at the WWE Hall of Fame. Bret Hart mentioned Vince McMahon in his speech. That slipped past the producer of the segment, which was R.D. Evans. Vince McMahon is is berating him in the back. And, um, you know, while being berated and, and well on his way to potentially being fired, R.D. Evans claims that he quit. Sort of a, you can't fire me because I quit situation. So, uh, you know, he, he leaves the company in the middle of the Hall of Fame show. Road Dog, who was at the Hall of Fame show being inducted, 
quit the company later that weekend, tired of the grind of writing SmackDown, tired of doing all-nighters, writing SmackDown and having everything changed the next day, tired of getting into it with Vince McMahon. So the grind has gotten to the road dog. And he is no longer your SmackDown whipping boy, the lightning rod, the man everybody blames when SmackDown is bad. I guess we'll find out if that's true. A bizarre story with Pat McAfee. Pat McAfee, of course, from Barstool Sports, the former NFL punter, all-pro punter, by the way. He was a tremendous punter. Uh, Brought in to work these pre-show panels for NXT. He's working the WrestleMania pre-show. He was told not to show up in his traditional jorts. I'm not making any of this up. He normally wears jorts on the NXT uh, set. It's kind of his gimmick. He's a goofy guy. So he shows up in a tuxedo with tuxedo shorts. Michael Cole, who hires and produces and has a you know is in charge of the announcers, blows a gasket on him. This is a half hour before he's set, uh, you know, to go on the air. This is happening in Gorilla. Berates him in front of everyone. Pat McAfee, who by the way has a full time gig, radio gig. This is his second job. He says, "I don't need this shit," and he says, "Fuck you, I'm out of here." So he goes, and he's packing his bags, and he's getting ready to leave. Somebody takes the situation to Vince. They show Vince pictures of LeBron James wearing suit shorts. Vince reportedly says, quote, I'm hip. I know what those are. He can wear those. The idea that 70-year-old Vince McMahon is telling Michael Cole that he's hip and he's with it and he knows that people are wearing these obnoxiously ugly suit shorts is hilarious to me. And then Michael Cole has to apologize to McAfee and he spins it in such a way that that he claims he was looking out for McAfee and didn't want McAfee to anger Vince by wearing shorts and get himself fired. McAfee accepted the apology and apparently all things are smooth and clear now between Pat McAfee and Michael Cole. What a bizarre story. What an absolute bizarre story. Vince McMahon takes McAfee's side, claims he's hip, and Michael Cole is forced to apologize. Just, just, totally why. And don't forget, don't forget, Pat McAfee quit the NFL at 29 years old in part because he didn't get along with the GM of the Colts and he left like $6 million on the table. Pat McAfee doesn't give a fuck. He would have walked out of that job and never looked back. It's a side gig for him. He doesn't care. He's not going to take shit from Michael Cole of all people. So Road Dog out. Pat McAfee sticking around. R.D. Evans out. Uso's sticking around. Which leads us to Sasha Banks. And listen, I've been very vocal about this. I think Sasha Banks and Bailey losing the tag team titles at WrestleMania in the four-way 
to the Iconics was the worst booking decision of WrestleMania weekend across the board. I do. And maybe that's partially on me for breaking my own rule of arm's length when it comes to WWE booking. But when they announced that there was only going to be one set of women's tag team titles, and when they put those titles on Sasha Banks and Bailey, who had lobbied for those titles, and then lobbied to win the titles, and then when they said that Sasha Banks and Bailey were going to go to all brands, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, NXT UK, and defend those titles against all of the women in the company. I really bought into the idea that this was going to be an important set of titles and a set of titles that meant something and a set of titles that could be treated with the importance and the reverence of the universal title or the NXT UK title. Because believe it or not, there are titles in that company that are protected and are treated well. They're doing a better job with the WWE title now. There was a time where they, all of the titles in that company were treated like shit. There's still a bunch of titles that very clearly nobody in the company cares about, including the fans. The Raw tag team titles, the SmackDown tag team titles, the you know the Intercontinental title, US, and no one cares about any of those titles, okay? Um, they don't matter. They don't draw money with them. They bounce around. It, you know, it, 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 a lot of them are jokes. I thought the women's tag team titles, I really bought into the idea that this was going to be an important title. I really did buy into that. I bought into that idea. And that's on me for breaking my own rule. I say it all the time. Arm's length. And I did not keep them at arm's length. And I worked myself into a shoot. And they put the title on the Iconics. They never gave Sasha and Bailey a chance to breathe. They never delivered on the idea that they were going to bounce around and defend them all over the place and raise the prestige. They never gave them a chance to establish the titles. And then they put them on the Iconics, who, let's face it, the Iconics are terrible. They're very, very bad. They're not good. And... It's not so much that the titles are on the Iconics, although that's part of the story because they stink so bad, but it's the the story here is that they took them off of Sasha and Bailey so quickly before they had a chance. It was a that's a giant flashing red sign that these titles don't matter. Add them to the pile of titles in the company that no one cares about because they don't fucking matter. That is what they told us when Sasha and Bailey lost them that quickly and lost them to that team. And it's my fault and it's our fault, if you were with me on that, for not keeping this company at arm's length. But I'll tell you who else got worked into a shoot. Sasha Banks. And listen, I've been critical of Sasha Banks and her pouting and her crying and her taking wins and losses too seriously. She clearly is a wrestling nerd. She loves wrestling. She's driven. She's very much into the idea of being not just a top women's star, but a top star in the business. And those are all good things. Some of her behavior 
is a little questionable. Her boo-boo face before she loses a big match is infamous. And I've been critical of that. And I've been critical of crying every time she wins a big match. And, and you know, I'm just sick of it. But in this case, Sasha Banks throwing a fit and blowing a gasket over having this title ring cut off, a title ring that meant a lot to her because they, they lobbied for these titles, they created them, they put them on her and Bailey, and then they, they yanked them away in a month. In a throwaway four-way, buried on the bottom of the card to a terrible team. Which just tells me that these titles are just going to bounce around and be another meaningless set of titles. And obviously Sasha Banks feels the same way. She reportedly took her ball and went home, tried to quit. They didn't let her. They told her, we'll give you some time to think about it. You're making a rash decision here. Think it through. If this is what you want to do, fine. But we're not going to accept that resignation. Think about it. We'll give you a few weeks. Get back to us. So that's where we're at with Sasha Banks as of this recording. And look, it's not just this decision which set her over the edge. This has been a culmination. She has been frustrated and unhappy for a long time. She sees Charlotte and Becky Lynch blowing right past her in the pecking order. She saw these titles as an opportunity for herself and Bailey to sink their teeth into something, rise up the card, make these titles important. And then she got blindsided the day of the show that they were losing the titles. And really, it's just, a, it's, it's, it's so short-sighted and it's a bad decision. To me, it's the worst booking decision of the entire weekend. They had a chance to create and elevate a new title into a position of importance. And they had a chance to get Sasha Banks and Bailey who have a lot of upside as stars back on track. Billy Kay, the Iconics, okay, Peyton Royce, that's a preliminary act. That's a preliminary heel team. That's what they are. Again, It's a flashing red sign that these titles don't matter. They'll probably lose them in two weeks on a SmackDown that nobody watches. It doesn't, you know, that's what they're telling us with this title change. All of the cool shit we thought they were going to do with Sasha Banks and Bailey is not going to come to fruition. And they're throwing away an opportunity to elevate that title into something. They, you know, they rolled it out as something important. They did all of the right things with these women's tag team titles until WrestleMania. And why? And for what? What was the moment created here? That the Iconics, who have been friends forever and, you know, have, have, you know, at times been forgotten in the booking, they got to hug and cry in the ring? I mean, good for them, I guess. But this idea that the Iconics deserve this, again, no one deserves anything. Decisions in wrestling should be made based on what is best for the business. What's the best story that can be told? 
what will make us the most money? Not, eh, what's going to make Peyton Royce feel good? Nothing against Peyton Royce. But, you know, this, it's not like this was some well-built, long-term feud, paying things off. No. These titles have existed for a month. This was a decision made in a room, probably in about 15 seconds. All right, what are we doing with this one? Ah, put it on the Iconics. We'll focus on them hugging and crying. It'll be a great moment. It's not, there's no long-term thinking here. But again, this is on me and this is on us for not keeping this company at arm's length. We could have had something really cool with these tag team titles. We could have had something really cool to get Sasha Banks and Bailey back on track. And instead, we get a month-long title reign that ended up meaning nothing. And now just another set of titles thrown on a heap of a bunch of other titles that nobody cares about and has no reason to care about. And it's a shame. And now, it may be the straw that broke the camel's back with Sasha Banks, and she might be moonwalking out of the company. Again, and this was a... This wasn't the issue. This was the final issue for Sasha. She's driven. She wants to be the best. And she's tired of it. She's tired of having things yanked away from her. Now, I don't care where you stand on that. Maybe you think she's a crybaby. Maybe you think she's unprofessional. We've seen this movie before with people like CM Punk and others who are just unhappy with their treatment in the company and they very publicly will let you know about it. And where you stand on those sorts of things, that's... But but the fact... This is where we are, though. But this was just a, a such a poor, short-sighted decision and a very just a disappointing decision to take the titles off of them this soon with no build. And man, some of the counter arguments to this. Well, it's better that they're on the Iconics who are an actual tag team, not just two singles wrestlers thrown together. Are you serious? It's Sasha Banks and Bailey. They went through what? A year-long story of, you know splitting and then coming back together and then forming a team and then the feel-good story of winning the titles. They're a tag team. But why should that matter anyway? I just It's just nonsensical garbage that I'm hearing from people. Besides the fact, and look, this is secondary, that the Iconics are not good and they are not going to have good matches. Now look, I know that's not the most important thing here, but match quality has never mattered more in pro wrestling than it does right now. And the Iconics are a gimmicky preliminary act who cannot wrestle. They're bad. They're flat out bad, bell to bell. In another era, they'd be managers. It's true. Maybe you don't want to hear that, but it's the truth. In another era, they'd be managers. Because they could talk, and they're entertaining, but they can't go. That's what they used to do with people like that. They'd make them managers. 
So we'll have to see what happens with Sasha Banks. Another big story coming out of WrestleMania weekend. Then we'll take a break and come back with the WrestleMania review. Ring of Honor runs the work shoot angle with Enzo and Cass. I'm sorry. Enzo and Kaz XL, collectively known as the Free Agents with a Z. There's lots of Zs and lots of Xs in those names. And look, this happened right in front of me at Madison Square Garden. But I got into it with the Briscoes, and the Briscoes beat the living shit out of these two guys. Those were shoot punches, people. They happened right in front of me. Bully Ray comes out. There's more to that story. New Japan Pro Wrestling was blindsided. They weren't clued in. Gorillas of Destiny were very pissed off, if you've seen their post-match comments. Throwing the Ring of Honor belts. Calling it bullshit ROH booking. They feel like their moment was stolen. And they're probably justified in feeling that way. Nobody was clued in. It's the old work-shoot mentality. If you were watching on the stream, they cut away from it. The angle was red hot in the building. Because, first of all, nobody knew what was going on. And then when they, you know, when people recognized Enzo and Cass, they went nuts. Then again, no one knew what was going on. But it was very obvious it was a work. Almost from the start. Security didn't step in. Bully Ray was the only guy to come out of the locker room. The New Japan wrestlers, you know, they just looked surprised and didn't get involved. Um, you know, if it were a real situation, you know, more people would have flooded out of the back. Security would have been involved. They would have handcuffed them. They would have arrested them because they did come over the railing. Uh, we were told early in the show after the beautiful people, now known as the Allure, had come out following the Kelly Klein Mayu Iwatani match. We got a, I got a text message that basically said, that's not going to be the worst surprise on this show. Something else is coming that people are going to bury even worse than that. And I had no idea what it could be. And then when I saw Enzo getting the shit kicked out of him by Jay Briscoe, it all came together. So if there's any doubt that this was a work, tr- trust me, it, 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 you know, by now I think everybody realizes it. But we still have people dropping into our Twitter mentions telling us it was a shoot. It was not a shoot. It was a work. Um, we were told that the Ring of Honor front office, a lot of the people on the booking side were against this, but a lot of people on the office side were all for it. That side won but there is definitely a divide in the company whether they believe this is a good idea or not. There are some people vehemently opposed to it, but their bosses have the override and they just have to roll with it, and now it is what it is. There are conflicting reports. The Observer says they are not signed. My source says that Enzo is signed, so I don't know. Point here is they will be used moving forward. And the idea that they're calling themselves the free agents seems to be, uh, you know, they're going to be working this gimmick that everything they do is unplanned and, 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 and a shoot. 
And they're probably just going to show up in buildings. And, you know, we're going to get more of this. If Ring of Honor really wanted to do a work shoot, they probably shouldn't be retweeting people the night of the attack or the night of the invasion or whatever you want to call it. They probably shouldn't be... Ring of, the Ring of Honor account shouldn't be retweeting people, you know, uh, posting videos of, of, of the brawl. That, you know, there's another giveaway immediately that this thing was a work. But the point here is, from what I understand, from what I am told, Bully Ray is gaining a lot of influence in the Ring of Honor office, and everyone knows he's, you know, friendly with Enzo. Everyone knows that he is partnered with Velvet Sky, and you can see Bully Ray's fingerprints all over the booking of the two angles that everybody is shitting on from the MSG show. They brought in the beautiful people to form this new uh, unit. This was originally Madison Rain's idea. They shot her down. Then they told her they were going to do it. She got insulted. She quit the company. She went back to Impact. So they're doing it with Velvet Sky and um, uh, the beautiful people and um, Velvet Sky, um, Angelina Love, and uh, Mandy Leon, who, of course, turned on Kelly Klein in the big angle. But, but getting back to Enzo... You know, we're told that this is the Bully Ray influence. And um, and and the office wanted this, and they were not going to be talked out of it, and we saw which side won. Now, I have a lot to say about the Enzo thing. And it may not be what everybody else is saying. Let me preface this, because I know how this works. Especially going back a couple weeks ago with the AIW thing, where people will hear what they want to hear, and conveniently ignore the rest. Let me be clear. And I said this months ago, as did Rich. I, Joe Lanza, would never hire Enzo Amore. I would not do it. He's an accused rapist. And I have no idea whether he raped that girl or not. The charges were dropped. He's in not any any kind of legal trouble for it. He was alleged to have raped that girl. But even outside of that, he's a douchebag. And he's nothing but trouble. And I wouldn't trust him. And to me, he's not worth the potential trouble that he brings. I don't like the company he keeps. I don't like the things he's been accused of, fairly or unfairly, allegedly, however you want to put it. I don't like the things he's been accused of. I think he's a douchebag. I don't like the company he keeps. I think he's bad news. There's a reason that nobody likes him. Even Cass doesn't like him. But Cass knows the best way for him to make money in this business is tied to Enzo. But he reportedly doesn't even like the guy. No one likes him. He keeps horrible company. He's a douchebag. He's been accused of heinous things. I would never hire Enzo Amore. I think he's more trouble than he's worth. With that said, I think Enzo Amore will be a net positive for ROH business. And I know that's not a popular take. 
and I don't care. I have to be fair. It doesn't matter what I think of Enzo Amore. I have to be fair. Enzo Amore has a million Instagram followers. I walked through WrestleCon this past weekend, anecdotally, twice. And nobody in that building had a longer line other than Ric Flair than Enzo Amore. I can't explain it, and I don't understand it, but Enzo Amore is enormously popular. I don't get it either. I don't see the appeal. But it's true. He not only had the longest line in WrestleCon, he didn't even have a line. He had a mob scene. He had people around his table, 10 rows deep, and he was holding court like a stand-up comedian. Full attention. Breaking everybody up. They're laughing. They're hooting. They're hollering. He was holding court in this facility surrounded by some of the biggest wrestling stars ever over the past 40 years. And Enzo Amore had full attention of the room and throngs of people waiting to meet him and just wanting to be around him. Again, do I understand this? No. Were we standing there scratching our chins saying, what the fuck? Yes! Do I understand why he has all of these social media followers? No. But do I see what the Ring of Honor brass are thinking here? Listen, I have to be fair. I do. They've got sagging house show business. Post-elite. We've talked about it on this show. It hasn't crashed and burned and totally cratered, but the house shows are down. The house shows are down. And these moves, now I don't think the beautiful people are going to move the needle at all. Forget that. And that was not over in the building. That was the one thing that wasn't over in the building at MSG was the women's title match and the post-match angle, which died a death in the building. So forget that. That's Bully getting his girlfriend a job and her friend a job and Ring of Honor trying something different. They actually, listen, beautiful people drew ratings 10 years ago against, uh, against uh, Amazing Kong or Awesome Kong, which, whatever TNA called her at the time. That's a fact. The women's matches TNA during that era were the highest quarter hours that Impact was doing. And a lot of that was because the beautiful people. So again, do I think the beautiful people are going to move business in 2019? I don't. I think the industry has moved on from their type of wrestler. But do I see what Ring of Honor is thinking when they hire somebody like that? I do. I just don't think it's going to work. When it comes to Enzo, while I think there are definitely people who are turned off by it, justifiably so, who will give up on Ring of Honor or refuse to spend money on Ring of Honor 
or ignore Ring of Honor because of the, pres- because of the presence of Enzo. Well, I do believe that to be true. I think the new fans that Enzo is going to draw to Ring of Honor who weren't paying attention to Ring of Honor previously will outweigh that number and I don't even think it will be particularly close. I think this move will work for business. I think you will see an uptick in house show attendance on shows where Enzo and Cass are booked. And I know no one has the guts to say it. And I know that's not a popular take. And I know I'm supposed to come on here and just trash this. And believe me, I don't want them there either. But from a business perspective, I think this is going to work. I think this guy, inexplicably is enormously popular. And in fact, when you look at the Ring of Honor roster right now, I would argue that he might be the biggest draw in the company. If not him, then who? You want to argue Roosh? Go right ahead. I might not get in your way. But don't come at me with Jay Lethal and don't come at me with the Briscoes and don't come at me with anybody on the roster because we've seen what's happened to Ring of Honor attendance since the Elite has left. And I don't see anybody else in that company with the same combination of national television exposure social media followers, and everything else that Enzo brings to the table. And yeah, I puke in my mouth a little when I talk about this, but I think people are underestimating how popular this man is and overestimating the amount of fans that are going to be driven away. Because let's face it, whenever we have situations like this, the talk is always louder than the reality. A lot of the backlash to this are from people who were not spending money on Ring of Honor to begin with. And I'm not suggesting that there aren't people out there who maybe bought a ticket to this MSG show or were DVRing Ring of Honor every week or buying the occasional Ring of Honor pay-per-view who aren't all out on Ring of Honor now because of Enzo. I am not suggesting that those people do not exist. I just don't think they exist in the great numbers that some people think they do. And I think what Enzo, the the fans that Enzo will bring to Ring of Honor greatly outweigh the number of fans who are going to be driven away from it. And that might not be what people want to hear, but unfortunately, I believe that's the truth. And I believe that's why the Ring of Honor brass made this decision. And let me tell you something else. If it wasn't going to be Ring of Honor, it was going to be someone else. If you don't think Enzo was ever going to get hired again, you're crazy. Someone was going to use this guy. Now, there are some places I don't think we're ever going to use him. I can't, I, you know, I don't, think a, I don't think AEW would have ever used him. Impact? I don't know. ROH? I don't know. We have our answer. MLW? I don't know. But someone was going to hire this guy. 
And Ring of Honor did it. And whether any of us like it or not, I think it's going to be a net positive for business. We're going to take a break, and I'm going to come back with the WrestleMania review. All right, welcome back. Let's get into some of these reviews now. We're going to start with WrestleMania 35. Of course, this WrestleMania 35 review is brought to you by Grapple. And look, the show as a whole, this is a tricky show. It's like, I don't think WrestleMania was a bad show, but I have a lot of trouble calling it a good show. Let me explain. I think that it was, first of all, it was a crowd-pleasing show. When you have Kofi win the title, which was absolutely the correct decision. You had Becky Lynch win the main event, which was absolutely the correct decision. You had Seth Rollins defeat Brock Lesnar, which was another, uh, you know, babyface winning a major title. You could even go right down to Finn Balor winning the Intercontinental title, another babyface winning a title from a heel. This was a crowd-pleasing show where they mostly made all of the correct booking decisions with the exception of Sasha and Bailey, which I already talked about. And this show did not have the excruciating lows that a lot of WrestleManias in recent years have had. But with that said, from a bell-to-bell perspective, there was really only one great match on this show. Now, here's the thing. WrestleMania hasn't been about match quality in a long time, and arguably ever. The goal of WrestleMania is not to go out there and have 10 four-star matches. That's just, that's not the goal. That's not what they're setting out to do. So, it's hard to hold them to that standard. Now, when I watch wrestling, I want to see great matches. I like great matches. And when I look at this WrestleMania show, I see one great match, and I see two or three other matches that I thought were very good, and then I see a whole lot of stuff that was like two stars. But I don't know if it's fair to judge WrestleMania on that kind of standard. In other words, if this were a New Japan show, the same 16-match show with the same level of quality, I'd be on here killing it today. I'd be destroying this show if this was a New Japan show. There is a level of expectation with a New Japan show in terms of bell-to-bell quality that I just don't have for WrestleMania. I mean, if this were a B pay-per-view, I'd probably be uh, killing it a lot harder than I'm going to kill this show. Just, I think WrestleMania is different. I think it's just the, you know, a celebration of the company, the culmination of some storylines. And from that perspective, I do think this show delivered. It was very much a crowd-pleasing show that made people happy, and people came away from WrestleMania feeling good. WWE fans, hardcore WWE fans, undoubtedly 
came away from this show feeling good. So how can I come on here and just totally trash a show like that? I can't. The problem is, when I go match by match like I'm about to do, you're going to see that there really wasn't a ton of high-quality stuff on this show in terms of the wrestling and in terms of the bell-to-bell. But I think when it comes to WrestleMania, I don't, I don't think that's as important. It helps. It helps to get a bunch of great matches. But I don't necessarily think it's necessary. I don't. I don't. And I do think it also helped that there wasn't a lot of total trash. There were some matches here I didn't like at all. There's only one match on the show, really, that I can flat out call what I think was legitimately a bad match. There were some other matches on the show that I thought weren't good, but I understand why other people may have liked them. So this is a weird show. I can't call it a bad show, but for what I look for in my wrestling, I can't necessarily call it a good one either. It was a crowd-pleasing event. I think it was the most satisfying WrestleMania in a number of years. Uh, for the WWE fan. And it didn't have some of the excruciating lows that some of the past few WrestleManias had. I think that's the fairest way that I can assess the overall feeling that this WrestleMania gave me. Now, there's also the caveat of, if you're a regular listener, and I know we have a lot of first-time and new listeners and people who only listen a couple times a year who listen to shows like this and the Wrestle Kingdom shows and some of the bigger shows that we do, you know that I am not super invested in this company. And one thing that I don't think enough people talk about is your investment in a company, your investment in a storyline, greatly affects how you view a match or a show. And I think in all these petty arguments that people get into over matches and shows and and promotions, we don't factor that in enough. I'm watching WrestleMania as someone who watches every WWE pay-per-view, is paid to review every WWE pay-per-view, covers WWE for this website and for this podcast, follows the company closely, but is not super invested in anything the company is doing because they don't present a wrestling product that I particularly enjoy or that suits my sensibilities. So that's the perspective I'm coming from when I'm watching a show like this, which means match quality and the bell-to-bell is going to mean more to me than it's going to mean to somebody who is super invested in the Usos or, you know, Becky Lynch or Roman Reigns or something like that. The match quality is going to mean more to me. I think everybody likes good matches, but you, you know, it's if you're super invested, you're more likely to enjoy a match than someone who isn't super invested. That doesn't mean, now look, The Kofi Kingston-Daniel Bryan match was a great match by anybody's standards. I don't care if, you know, you had zero investment in either guy or you're the world's biggest Kofi Kingston fan. You're going to think that was a great match. 
But it's a lot of that middle stuff where personal investment can make or break a match and then, as a result, make or break a show. And a perfect example is Shane McMahon versus The Miz, which we had talked about for weeks as we previewed. I couldn't care less about Shane McMahon and The Miz. I don't care about The Miz. I don't care about his dad. I don't care about his family. I don't care about his wife. I don't care about their tag team. I didn't care about their tag team splitting up. I don't care about Shane McMahon. I never have, going back 20 years. Doesn't connect with me. Don't care about The Miz. Don't care about their feud. Didn't care about their match. And when I talk about that match, it's going to be reflected in what I thought of it. So I think personal investment matters a ton, and it's not something that we focus on enough. If you're personally invested in WWE and you're a huge WWE fan, I can't see you coming away from this show and not enjoying yourself. They gave you so many satisfying conclusions. It was booked well for the most part. None of the matches were flat. Well, most of the matches were not flat out terrible. So even at a bare minimum level, they were just, you know, acceptable 10-minute, two-and-a-half-star matches. So I can understand why a lot of people really enjoyed this show. Do I think this is one of the greatest WrestleManias of all time? I do not. I do not. I'd put it upper middle, maybe. There just wasn't enough great stuff on this show. This show had one great match. I'm sorry. If, if you have a 16-match show and one match is great, I can't call it an all-time great show, let alone an all-time great show overall. Forget that. I mean, this isn't even close to an all-time great show. But an all-time great WrestleMania, I don't know. There have been WrestleManias that have had one more, more than one great match on them. And I'll take those WrestleManias that had three or four great matches and maybe some trash that we don't remember... I'll take those shows that peaked super high multiple times over a show like this that peaked once, had a bunch of stuff that was, eh, that was okay, and had a completely dead crowd after Kofi Kingston because people were sitting there for seven and a half hours and we're getting tired and we're out of energy and the matches weren't that great to drag them back into it. So no, I can't call this an all-time great WrestleMania but I can't call it a bad WrestleMania either. And we've had bad WrestleManias over the last few years. So it's a tricky show to assess. It's always a tricky show to assess. But we'll go through it match by match. And we will start with the pre-show. 205 Live. Cruiserweight title match. Tony Nese wins the title from Buddy Murphy, which I thought was surprising. Because I really wasn't thinking about the superstar shakeup or anything coming up. They had a rematch on 205 Live. And Tony Nese not only won the rematch, he won it in definitive fashion. It feels like a write-off for Buddy Murphy on 205 Live. He already shot an angle with Velveteen Dream backstage at WrestleMania, which aired on NXT. So it looks like Buddy Murphy is moving over to NXT for a potential feud with Velveteen Dream. So now Tony Nese winning the title makes sense. With that said, I still think Tony Nese was a bizarre choice to beat Buddy Murphy. He's always kind of been just a mid-card 205 Live guy, not particularly over, even by the standards of the show where no one's over. Um, But, you know, 
It's the Cruiserweight title, and it's 205 Live, so it doesn't really matter. But Tony Nese is your new champion. I thought this was one of the better matches on the show. I'd go about three and a half on this. Grapple users, as of this recording, have Buddy Murphy and Tony Nese at 3.2. So I'm right pretty much in line with the consensus there. Good little match to start things off. Um, And basically, I thought, listen, I thought the rematch on 205 Live was better. If you liked this match, I strongly recommend watching 205 Live this week and watching the rematch because I thought that was a better match. I'd go about 3.75, close to 4 on the uh, the rematch they had on 205 Live. So anyway, Tony Nese is your Cruiserweight champion. Carmella wins the Women's Battle Royal. Um, I thought last year's was a little better than this. You know, you know, you got Carmella hiding under the ring. I Look, there were three Battle Royals this weekend across two different shows, and they all had somebody hiding under the ring. So, you know, I thought that was noteworthy. But this did nothing for me. Um... A total nothing match. I'd go about one star here. Uh, the grapple users have this one at 1.58. So nobody seemed to really like this. Uh, what do you want me to say? It was a battle royal and Carmella won. And nobody cares. And no one's going to... No one cared 10 minutes after it was over. Nobody cares now. Um, you know, they want to get everybody on the card. I get it. I don't have a problem with these battle royals at all. I don't have high expectations. Sometimes they're better than other times. Um, this was just nothing. This was nothing match. Interesting that Sarah Logan was the last one in, and they teased that she was the winner before Carmella hopped back in. You think maybe they'd put someone else in that spot, but, you know, whatever. I'm not going to waste a lot of time on it. We had the Raw Tag Team titles, The Revival, defending against Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder. Kurt Hawkins, of course, coming in with the 269-match losing streak. This is where this company loses me a little bit because, look, as a nerd who approaches pro wrestling from, you know, a, a, a real sport perspective. I have a major problem with someone on a 269 match losing streak, getting a title shot. It bothers me. It shouldn't bother me. I should understand the company I'm watching. This is why I say I'm just not super invested in the company. And then, you know, in the way that the match was worked with the long heat spot, you know, it's like, and the way the commentators were talking, you know, it's like, you know, you could see it was it was obvious that Hawkins and Ryder were going to win the titles here, and they did. Look, this wasn't my favorite structure for a match. Very basic match, the kind of match you've seen a thousand times. Okay, old school Southern tag style, long heat spot, hot tag, the underdog baby faces beat the cocky heels. Um, but look, it's a preliminary match. It's a pre-show match. My biggest problem here is that the Raw Tag Team titles are treated this way in a preliminary match on the pre-show. You know, if this was just the Revival versus Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder in a grudge match, worked exactly in the same manner, I'd have less of a problem with it. It bothers me that the Tag Team titles are devalued as much as they are. So, um, you know, from that perspective, I hate that. But it is what it is. This company has a million titles. You can't get everything on the main show. I get it. I don't like the idea of the guy in the 269 match winning, losing streak, winning winning a title. Um, Again, this just reeks of uh, like a redo of the B team. 
None of this ever helps build prestige for the belts. The Revival loses on TV all the time as champions. These Raw tag team titles are just booked like shit. And it ensures that no one will ever care about them. And it ensures that they'll always end up in prelim spots like this on pre-shows of pay-per-views. So, I can't get all wrapped up in it. It was a perfectly fine match for the spot on the card it was on. uh, Completely disregarding the idea that they're shitting on the titles. I'd go about two and a half on this. The uh, grapple users are sitting at 2.58. So, I'm pretty much in line with the consensus here so far. I haven't looked at any of this yet, but... uh, but anyway, so we had the 30-man Andre, the uh, giant Memorial Battle Royal. We're well into the USA Network portion of the show now. The USA Network portion, by the way, of the pre-show, uh, the viewers were way up from last year. So, you know, for all of the talk, you know, the Raw after WrestleMania was a ratings disaster, okay, uh, even factoring in the basketball game. Because two years ago, going head-to-head with the basketball game, you know, Raw did almost a million more viewers and that basketball game did more viewers than this year's did. So you can't even blame the basketball game. The Raw after WrestleMania rating was a disaster. 25% down from, uh, you know, from uh, 25% down uh, with the same head-to-head comp. Um, uh, from two years ago against the basketball game, it was uh, almost a million viewers down. It was the lowest rated uh, Raw after Mania in years. And you don't have to go back too far. I think in 2015... 2015, the Raw After Mania did 5.15 million viewers. And here we are in 2019, and we're down uh, well under 3 million viewers for the Raw After Mania. So the poor ratings trend uh, for Raw and for WWE television in general continues. Uh, you have your head in your sand if you don't think it's a problem. It's, uh, you, can, you can shout at me all night long, all day and all night long, that they're still number one on cable on Monday nights and this and that. And that's fine, okay, but, you know, when these new television contracts kick in, it's a whole new set of pressure. I'm not saying the sky's falling. I'm not saying Fox is going to yank away the $4 billion. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there's an obvious and clear downward trend, and it has to be concerning. And don't put your head in the sand and pretend that it's not concerning. The company itself acknowledges that it's concerning. The company itself did a giant reset at the end of last year with the McMahon family in the ring promising to give people more of what they want. They know there's a negative trend here. They know it's a little bit worrisome with the game changing soon when those new TV deals kick in. And they did a massive bait and switch on Raw to attempt to hold the viewers versus the basketball game, dragging it out all the way till the final quarter hour of the show before they finally did the switch part of the bait and switch and got the bar involved in a desperate attempt to hold viewers. And which, by the way, did not work because the show had the same hour-to-hour viewer decline pattern that Raw has had for the past several months. So no one even cared that they set up a title-for-title match between Seth Rollins and Kofi Kingston. No one even cared enough to stick with the show at higher than normal levels for that match. And if you don't think that's worrisome, I don't know what to tell you anymore. You're either hopelessly devoted to this promotion to the point where it's impossible to be fair, or you're stupid. Those are the only two options. This is worrisome. And again, it doesn't mean the sky is falling. It doesn't mean they're going to cease to exist in five years. It doesn't mean they're going to make continue to make money hand over fist. But it's something they have to look at. And try to reverse. 
The trend is obvious, and it's bad. And whether it was because nobody cared enough about Kofi Kingston versus Seth Rollins, which will be determined over the next several weeks, as we see what ratings do with those guys on top, or whether it was because the consumer never bought for a second that they were really going to give you the match, it doesn't matter. Either way, people didn't stick around. And I don't know which reason would be worse. I think it's worse if people didn't buy that they were going to get the match. They basically conditioned their audience to know that they're fucking with them. How is that a positive? People were coming at me with that this week. Oh, well, people are smart. They knew they weren't going to do a title for title match. No, that doesn't make people smart. It means the company has smartened people up to the fact that they're constantly pulling the rug out from underneath them and pulling this shit. That's a bad thing, not a good thing. But anyway, you slice it, no one stuck around for that match. And I don't know if that's an indictment of Kofi Kingston or Seth Rollins. It's too soon to say. I don't have an opinion on that. But I know it's an indictment on the company and the lack of interest in their television product. They can get 80,000 people to go to WrestleMania and draw, 17, and draw a $17 million gate. What they can't do, what they can't do these days is get people to watch their television. And I don't want to hear about television dying. Oh, and everything's down across the board. Nonsense. Other live sports are up. And live sports is the comparison point here. Because that's where, that's who, that's how they're getting their television deals. Based on the fact that they're live sports. And have the same model. Their television deals are modeled after live sports television deals. I don't care that they're beating suits on Monday night. I don't care that they're beating Roseanne reruns. Nobody cares. It's not going to matter when they get on the network. And the new TV deals kick in. It's a whole new ball game. USA is not paying $4 billion for suits. It's a different standard of performance. That's expected. There's different expectations. These networks have to make this money back. And we're not at the point to where, you know, there's so few viewers that they... But but the trend is not good. The trend. And to ignore that trend is having your head in the sand. And oh, by the way, Brandon Thurston, WrestleNomics, this site, this podcast network, he writes for Fightful. WWE viewership declines are steeper than the rest of the declines being seen in the television industry. So even if you want to compare them to the rest of television outside of sports, and other sports are up, by the way, so what's the excuse there? These declines are steeper. There is no spin. There's no spin. There is a ratings and viewership issue in this company. And it's real and it's concerning. And the company themselves admit that it's concerning. Get your head out of the sand or let the adults talk when it comes to this topic. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of the excuses. I'm tired of people... 
you know, coming up with, you know, well, they're still number one on cable. Who cares? No one cares that they're beating, you know, Cheers reruns. So the main show started with the Universal title match. Seth Rollins defeats Brock Lesnar. Official time in the match was 2 minutes and 30 seconds. Brock attacked before the bell. Delivered an F5 on the outside of the ring. Uh, This was following the pattern of most of Brock's matches recently. He rolls Seth back into the ring. Goes for the match ending. Gives him uh, like three German suplexes. Goes for the match ending F5. Seth hits the low blow. And then three consecutive curb stomps for the win. I think on paper, this looked like a great idea. And I think on paper, I would have signed off on it. In reality, it came off a little flat. I don't think this came off the way that that it optimally could have. Although on paper, it looked great. So I, I don't know who to blame here. But it came off a little flat. A little flat. This didn't feel like the big definitive defeat of Brock Lesnar, who has held this title for like 700 of the last 750 days outside of the very brief Roman run before he had to go away for his illness. This did not feel like the huge cataclysmic moment of defeat for Brock Lesnar that it should have. On paper, I think it looked that way. Oh, well, you know, three straight curb stomps. It'll look great. The third one will knock him out. It'll be awesome. I don't think it worked out that way. I think it came off a little flat. I think in the building, it felt like it ended a little too soon. But at any rate, Seth wins the title and off we go. Who knows what's happening with Brock moving forward. This is something that's hard to rate. I don't know what I would give this as a rating. Um, Again, I thought it fell a little flat, so I can't go crazy about it. I don't think it was anything great. I don't think it was bad either. I thought it was intense. And, you know, I, I like Brock's short, intense matches. I'd probably go three, three and a quarter on this. Uh, grapple users are currently at 2.64. AJ Styles versus Randy Orton. I thought this was one of the better matches on the show. I really did. Now, look, I get it. Randy Orton's Randy Orton. And there were portions early on in this match that were kind of dull. But I like the story of this match where both guys, particularly Orton, had the other scouted and were ready for everything. Randy Orton had counters and reversals ready for AJ at every turn. He, he, you know, he, he avoided the calf crusher early on. He avoided, uh, he had some nice phenomenal forearm counters and things like that. I thought a really cool spot was AJ bluffed going for a phenomenal forearm and Orton thinking that he was ready for it, went for an RKO, but because AJ never came off the ropes, Orton crashed and burned. So with Orton stunned on the mat, AJ then did, you know, the springboard 450. I thought that was such an awesome spot, and it looked really cool. So then eventually, you know, AJ wins the match with a really good closing sequence. I really enjoyed this. I'd go about um, three and a quarter or maybe even three and a half on this match. 
And I don't see a lot of people talking about it, but I, I thought it was one of the better matches on the show. Uh, Grapple users currently have this at 2.99. Let me tell you something. I didn't love this show bell to bell, but I seem to like it more than the consensus does. So for all these people saying that this was such a great WrestleMania, I really do think it's because it was a feel-good WrestleMania. It really wasn't the bell to bell, but, you know, let's move on and see. So this, to me, was the second best match on the show, was the Usos retaining the SmackDown Tag Team titles over Aleister Black and Ricochet, Rusev and Shinsuke Nakamura, and The Bar. couple really, this was high energy. It was 10 minutes of hot bell-to-bell action. You had the great spot where Cesaro had Ricochet in the giant swing while Sheamus was just beating everybody's chests in. I thought that was a lot of fun. You had the Tower of Doom spot where Ricochet rolled through the Tower of Doom, which was a nice spin on uh, on that spot. And then the Usos end up winning the match with the double Us off the top rope on Sheamus, who I wasn't surprised got a ton of shine early in the match because he was taking the fall later. This was the second best match on the show. I'd go three and three quarters. Grapple users have it at 3.34. I'm ahead of the consensus again. Here's one where there's no shot I'm going to be ahead of the consensus. I can't see it because I hated this. Shane McMahon and The Miz. Falls count anywhere. I thought this stunk. I genuinely think this was a bad wrestling match. I, I really think this was... If you like this match, okay, then you also like every... 2007 Jeff Jarrett TNA walking brawl through the crowd. Because that's what this was. This was Jeff Jarrett dragging his opponent through the crowd by the hair, throwing the occasional punch, and doing a walking brawl through the crowd. And it ended with the predictable Shane McMahon fall to his death that he does on every show. And then he gets the fluke win because off of the Miz superplex, Shane lands on top. And he gets the three count, which was a dopey finish. And they go through these crash pads, which, all right, they got some good, it never looks impressive when they go, I understand why they do it, I'm not asking them to fall on concrete. Okay, but I've had enough of the crash pads. I've seen enough crash pads in my life, I'm done with it. This was a boring walk and brawl with a shitty finish in a match that I had no investment in. To me, this was like, a, 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 at best... At best, a two-star match. And that's being generous. God, did this stink. And it didn't hold my attention. Just did not hold my attention. Wasn't good. Grapple users are at 3.03. So, like I said, this just didn't work for me. Obviously, it worked for other people. Um, I get it, I guess. If you're super into The Miz, I, I don't know. I I thought it was bad. This was another bad match. This was a bad stretch on the show. We had the four-way. I talked about it um, in the first segment of the show. The Iconics win the tag team titles in the match that also involved the Boston Hug Connection and Beth Phoenix and Natalya. The finish was a blind tag by Billy Kay on Beth Phoenix. She hits her finish on Bailey. Billy Kay steals the pin. Even the finish was cheap. Uh, I get it. They're heels. I understand. Um... Look I, look, I talked about it at length. I think this was the worst booking decision of the entire weekend across every company that ran New York. This was the worst booking decision, period, 
of WrestleMania weekend. And I'm not going to get into the reasons again. We talked about it in the first hour of the show. I just thought this was poorly. Just, just, I, I, I cannot stand this. And on top of that, the match was terrible. Nia Jax and Tamina are objectively awful. Nia Jax may have been hurt in the match, which explains her lousy performance. Tamina is the worst major league wrestler in the world. We've discussed that numerous times. It doesn't get any worse than Tamina. The Iconics are not good. And it was a four-way, and it was disjointed, and it was sloppy. And there was nothing good about this, from the booking to the finish to the work. Um, You know, I'd go maybe a star and three-quarters, two stars if I'm being generous. Uh, The Grapple users have this one at 2.18. They ain't love it either. As we move on to Kofi Kingston winning the WWE title from Daniel Bryan, uh, this is where the show peaked. The show unquestionably peaked right here, and we had six matches left, including the main event. Oof. But this was obviously a great match. Um, you know, the only, there were only two booking calls here that were acceptable. Kofi Kingston winning the title or the New Day turning on Kofi Kingston. There was no other acceptable finish. And really, the only one that I or anybody else wanted was Kofi Kingston winning this match, and he did. I thought Daniel Bryan was brilliant in this match. He channeled old-school heel Daniel Bryan in this one better than he has at any point during this heel run, which has been excellent. Kofi was right there in the biggest match of his life in what will prove to be the biggest match of his life. He's not going to get any bigger than this. Okay? Great fire. Wins it clean with his finish. Feel-good moment. Everybody's happy. Everybody knocked it out of the park with this one. The company, both guys in the ring, the, you know, completing the you know, New Day coming down and running off Eric Rowan to make sure that he can't get involved. Uh, getting rid of uh, Daniel Bryan's you know silly hemp belt and presenting Kofi Kingston with the old school leather belt. All of this worked, and it was a fantastic moment. And there can't be anything negative that can possibly be said about this match. Easily four stars. Easy. Grapple users have this one at 4.4 as we speak. By far the highest rated match on the show. And really, as I skip ahead, because I haven't looked at these yet, as I said at the top, the only great match on this show. So if you want to tell me this is the greatest WrestleMania of all time, it's not It's not because of the bell-to-bell. It's not. So the crowd was dead, basically, for the rest of the show. The come-down match from the Kofi moment was Samoa Joe and Rey Mysterio went one minute. Joe basically squashed him. Mysterio went for the 619. Joe caught him, put him in the Coquina Clunch. Look, you know, something had to give here. Mysterio came into the match injured anyway, and you had to cool down the crowd in some way after the Kofi thing. Um, Well, I mean, you don't have to cool down the crowd. What I'm trying to say is the crowd is going to be on a natural cool down. So you got to throw something in there that you don't want the crowd to hurt. So the best way to do that is to, you know, throw out a one-minute match, something that's not designed, uh, you know, something designed to where it's okay if it doesn't get a super reaction because people are still cooling off from the previous 
super emotional match. So that's what we got here. I'm not going to rate this. I, I you know, the, the grapple users, it's at a 1.09. Now I don't rate matches that are that short. You just can't unless there's something, you know, if you're talking about Kenta versus Ricky Marvin, where they crammed a 20 minute match into like 90 seconds, that's different. This was basically one spot. And, just a quick, decisive win for Joe. It's impossible to rate something like this. Uh, we had Roman Reigns defeating Drew McIntyre. I called this the sleeper match of the show in the preview. And my God, was I let down by this. This was boring as fuck. Um, Drew McIntyre slapping on that arm bar for, you know, uh, what felt like an eternity. And then you just get a very brief, very short Roman Reigns comeback with the Superman punch and spear. I mean, this was a nothing match. A nothing match in front of a crowd that did not care. And, you know, again, I, I don't necessarily blame the wrestlers in every case on the back end of the show for that, but this match gave the fans no reason to be into it anyway. So some of this has to go on the wrestlers themselves. Um, you know, th- this was not good. It was very boring. Um, I, you know, y- you can't go higher than two on something like this, and I can't kill you if you go below. This is a below-average match. And very dis- the most disappointing match on the show. Because I really thought that this match could deliver with the two guys that were in there. But we've seen this story before. Roman, you know, when it comes to WrestleMania, outside of that, that Roman-Brock match where Seth ran in with the briefcase a few years ago in California, Roman's got a lot of WrestleMania duds. You know, the Undertaker match is an all-time bad WrestleMania match. And this Drew McIntyre match, I mean... Totally forgettable. Two or three years from now, you're not going to remember who Roman Reigns faced on Kofi Kingston's WrestleMania. This is going to forever be known as Kofi Kingston's WrestleMania. And someone's going to say to you, who did Roman face on that? And you're going to go, holy shit, I don't remember. Let's look that up. And you're going to go, oh yeah, Drew McIntyre. God, that fucking sucked. I mean, this was such a letdown. Grapple users have this at 2.05. So they're on the same wavelength as me. As we move on to Triple H and Batista, no holds barred. Now look. Now look. I know some people were into this. I knew Batista took some big bumps. The power bomb on the stairs was a really cool spot, followed by the pedigree, and uh, I believe he kicked out. And then, um, yeah, because later on in the match, Ric Flair came down, they got the sledgehammer involved, then he gave him the pedigree and beat him. I couldn't get into this. I mean, it was fine. This was better than Shane McMahon and The Miz. Um, But I can't call this good. It was 25 minutes long. Um, You know, you had the nose ring spot with the pliers, and then you had the uh, power bomb on the stairs, and aside from that, the rest is a blur. And of course, the finish with Flair coming down to tie up that story neatly with a bow. Batista retires. Triple H's career continues. Triple H is shot, by the way. He's done. And he wasn't so great before he was shot, but he's done. The match in Saudi Arabia was the worst match of the year last year. And um, this didn't inspire much confidence, even with all the shortcuts with the no-holds-barred stipulation. You know, this was a uh, two-and-a-half-star match to me. I, you know... Grapple users, 2.49, right on the nose with the consensus. Wasn't feeling it at all. Again, there were a bunch of matches on this show that did not deliver. 
Triple H, Batista didn't deliver. Roman Reigns, Drew McIntyre did not deliver. Samoa Joe, Rey Mysterio wasn't given a chance to deliver. Shane McMahon and The Miz stunk. Maybe it was just me, but I thought that stunk. But, you know, it was really the opening stretch of the show with the Seth Rollins title win, the AJ Orton match, and the SmackDown four-way, to me, was the hottest part of the show. After that, there was nothing worthwhile on this show with the exception of the Kofi title win. As we move on, Baron Corbin defeats Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle, you want to talk about shot. He misses the moonsault. Corbin hits the end of days. It's a nothing match. Two-star special. A lot of two-star specials on this show. Grapple has this at 1.32. Somebody show me why this is some kind of great bell-to-bell WrestleMania. It wasn't. It was not. Finn Balor versus Bobby Lashley. Finn, Poor Finn Balor's got to put on the whole demon costume with the dopey paint and the silly outfit to go out there and have what amounts to a Owen Hart versus Skinner WrestleMania match. You guys remember that one? Owen Hart and Skinner? What was it? WrestleMania 7 or you know, whatever it was. Right before the main event, Owen Hart does the moonsault off the turnbuckle. Skinner spits the tobacco in his face. You know, they go about two minutes. Owen Hart gets the quick win. They were running out of time. That's what this felt like. They went out there and had a three-minute match. Lashley does the two spears. Not enough to put away the demon. Finn Balor wins it with the coup de gras. And look, they had to keep some of this short because this show was seven and a half hours long. And this one got short-shafted. Again, it's a two-star match. Grapple users, 2.11. Greatest WrestleMania of all time. Which brings us to the main event. Becky Lynch, Ronda Rousey, Charlotte Flair. Look, I feel bad for them. You know, the crowd was dead. They weren't into this. Um, They worked really hard. This was stiff. They worked to the feud, meaning this was a nasty, ugly feud, and they worked that way. They went after it. And I give them credit. They tried really hard. Um, A lot of it was disjointed and sloppy. You know, Becky Lynch, you know... um, went to give, you know, she went to do that deal where, uh, you know, I'm terrible with move names. You know, you guys know that, um, totally whiffed on, on grabbing Rhonda and Charlotte and, and they both took the phantom, uh, bump that looked ugly. There was a couple other spots that looked ugly and not in a good Charlotte versus Sasha Banks, ugly way in a ugly, these people are on a different page way and nothing exemplifies that as much as the finish where Becky Lynch uh, reverses the Piper's Pit into a crucifix pinning combination, and Ronda Rousey's shoulders aren't anywhere near the mat. And the poor referee, Rod Zapata, who as it turned out got fined for calling the pinfall, because the referees are taught to call it like a shoot. What a tough spot that guy was in, huh? He's calling... He's refereeing the main event of WrestleMania, the first ever women's main event of WrestleMania, the second highest grossing show in the history of wrestling, second highest gate in the history of wrestling. There's 80,000 fans there. He knows this is the finish. 
He knows Ronda's shoulders are off the mat, and he has a split second to make that decision. Do I count the pin, or do I ruin the finish of the main event of, of arguably the biggest uh, event in the history of WWE? And he counted the pin. I would have made the same decision. What would have happened if he didn't count the pin? Would they have stood up and then like Becky does a small package or something? I almost would like to know what would happen if he hadn't counted that pin. And the poor guy got fined for counting the pin. I think he made the right call. Ugly finish to a match that I really wanted to be good, but it just wasn't good. It just wasn't good. Didn't have the heat you would expect. The work was sloppy. The finish was terrible. And Becky Lynch really didn't get that much of a moment. She didn't. They hustled it right off the air because they've been on the air for 11 hours. And there's no question that this show peaked with Kofi Kingston. And this will forever be known as Kofi Kingston's WrestleMania. And at minimum, it should have been Kofi Kingston and Becky Lynch's WrestleMania. But it won't be. This, is, this was the Kofi show. Everything peaked with Kofi Kingston. And Becky Lynch, look, she's blaming herself for the poor performance. There's reports that she thinks she was the worst person in the match. And was a little down on her performance. And look, it wasn't a great match. This is a three-star match at best. I'd go about three. Grapple users are a little stronger on it. They went three and a half. But it was, either way, it was disappointing. A very disappointing main event at the end of an interminably long show. Interminably long show. So, that's WrestleMania 35. A crowd-pleasing show that did not deliver bell-to-bell. So it's tricky. I can't call it bad, but I can't call it particularly good either. Because the in-ring just didn't quite land. I mean, you know, I mean, look, look at these grapple ratings. I mean, I'm not, I'm not out to lunch here. I'm not the one way off on the consensus. So before we take a break, let's use, let's go to cage match two. Let's see. Now, the cage match users haven't rated every single match yet. So you heard my ratings, you heard the grapple ratings, okay? You, you tell me if this is a great show. Rollins-Lesnar, 2.64 on grapple, 3.32 on cage match. Remember, you got to divide it by 2 because it's 10-point scale. That's like a 1.7, 1.6. Styles-Orton, 
2.99 on grapple. I think that's low. 6.16 on cage match. So it's a it's a three star match on cage match. I, I I thought it was better than both of those sites are giving it credit for. Um, grapple 3.34 on the SmackDown four way. Again, I like that match better than the consensus. It got a seven on cage match. So 3.5 on cage match. Shane McMahon and The Miz got a 7 on cage match, so 3.5. It got a 3 on grapple. And then this is where things go right downhill. Obviously, everybody loved Kofi and Daniel Bryan. There's really no reason to talk about that. Um, But the cage match users did not rate the four-way women's tag. Grapple users did not like that, 2.18. 4.5 for Kofi Bryan on cage match. 4.4 on Grapple. Everybody loved that match. Cage match did not rate Samoa Joe. They did not rate Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre. That got a 2 on Grapple. Triple H Batista works out to a 3 on Cage match. Works out to a 2.49 on Grapple. Cage match did not rate Baron Corbin, Kurt Angle. They did not rate Finn Balor, Bobby Lashley. I think we would all agree that neither of those matches were great. And then the main event, cage match has it at 6.53, which works out to about three and a quarter. And Grapple has it at 3.5. We're talking about a show with consensus. My ratings, Grapple ratings, cage match ratings. You want to use the Observer? Dave fell mostly in line with what I just said. The consensus was one great match on this show. And then two or three pretty good matches, and the rest, a bunch of two-star specials and below. So again, again, is this an all-time great mania? Strong disagree. Strong disagree. I think there have been better shows than this. That peaked higher more times than this one did. This show had multiple disappointing matches. Roman Reigns, Drew McIntyre was a disappointment. The main event was a clear disappointment. I'd argue that Rollins and Lesnar was a disappointment. Joe Mysterio didn't get the time that we hoped. Something had to give. I'm not going to bang him too hard on that. You had to cut time on something. But you've got three or four matches here which were clear disappointments. One great match, three or four clear disappointments, and a bunch of two-star specials. That's what we're dealing with here. This was a crowd-pleasing show with some emotional moments. If that's your bar, that's fine. I get it. Otherwise, though, this was not a great wrestling show. I'll be back with the MSG review. All right, we're back for part three, and we're going to review the New Japan Pro Wrestling slash Ring of Honor slash G1 Supercard from Madison Square Garden. And as I said earlier in the show, this was the best live wrestling experience of my life. This may not have been the best wrestling show I've ever attended in my life, although it would be... Right near the top. I'd have to think about it. Because when you look at the sheer amount of great matches that were on this show, I don't know that I've ever been to a show that had six or seven great matches like this one. This this show, to me, 
and had at least six great matches and a seventh that was very close. I went four stars or better on six of the matches, and I went 3.75 on a seventh. And I don't know that I've ever attended a show where I can say that. There's probably some Ring of Honor show I'm forgetting about. And listen, I've been to some shows. I, you know, I went to probably 20 straight ECW arena shows. I went to countless Ring of Honor shows in New Jersey, Philadelphia, New York City. I've been to a million different indie shows. I've been to Chikara King of Trios. I've been to WWE pay-per-views. I've been to Raw. I've been to SmackDown. I've been to a half dozen WrestleMania weekends and all of the great shows that you see on on those weekends. Um, so I've been to some things and a bunch of other stuff that, I, that surely I'm forgetting about. I've been to TNA slash Impact, both house shows, television tapings, and pay-per-views. Uh, you name it. Um, you know, I, 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 I've been to a ton of shows. And this was easily the best live wrestling experience that, that, that I've ever had. And was probably the best show. Although I'd have to put a little thought into that. But to be in Madison Square Garden with 16,000 people who were red fucking hot. I have never been a part of a crowd that was this hot. And I was stunned that it didn't come across on the streams. And I know I'm not out on an island because everyone who was there live basically was surprised as well that people on the stream were saying that. It didn't feel like a hot crowd. This is the hottest crowd I've ever been a part of. And again, I've been in the ECW arena. You know, so I've been a part of hot crowds. This is the hottest crowd I've ever been a part of. And they were hot from the beginning of the Honor Rumble until the very end of Kazuchika Okada's show-closing speech that aired after the pay-per-view went off the air. Red hot. And they were hot for everything. The only thing this crowd died for was the Kelly Klein-Mayu Iwatani match and the post-match angle with the allure. The crowd, that died a death. Aside from that, everything else on this show was over and red hot. And, with a, and, and red hot. I know the New Japan, the um, I'm sorry, the, the Ring of Honor portion of the crowd is getting dumped on by a lot of people. I didn't think it was nearly as bad as a lot of people think it is. Um, I have different opinions on that. I Look, there was some stuff I didn't like, but I didn't think the Ring of Honor portion of the card was this awful atrocity that people are making it out to be. In fact, I thought the latter match was a great match. But we'll get into match by match. Um... But the New Japan portion of the card was out fucking standing, as good as any big big New Japan show. And I got to witness an IWGP heavyweight title change right in front of my eyes from ringside. And it was a great match. This was the best wrestling experience of my life, and it's going to be hard to top. And it was a great bell-to-bell show. I think people are being way too hard on the Ring of Honor portions. And I think people um, are allowing that to drag down all of the other great stuff. This show, listen, when you look at this show, let's just compare it. I just talked about WrestleMania. 
which is getting praised for being such a great show. And I just did an hour on that. When I look at WrestleMania and I look at this show, the bell-to-bell isn't even close. The MSG show blows away WrestleMania when it comes to match quality, to the point where it's not even close. Let's do an exercise. Let's rank out the matches on the two shows. Starting with the best match and working all the way down to the worst match. For the sake of the arguments, let's put Kofi Kingston, Daniel Bryan, number one. I would not. But if you think Kofi Kingston, Daniel Bryan was the best match across the two shows, I'm not going to argue with you. It was a great match. It's just reasonable minds can disagree. Let's put that match number one. Just because I don't want to debate it. And I think it's fair. I don't think it's unfair to call that match the best match between uh, across the two shows. I would argue that the next five matches without question, no debate, would be matches from the MSG show. In no particular order, Cobb Ospreay, Dragon Lee Bandito and Taiji Ishimori, Zack Sabre Jr., Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kota Ibushi, Tetsuya Naito, and Kazuchika Okada, Jay White. There isn't another match on WrestleMania that was better than any of those matches, and I don't even think any of them are close. Those are five great matches, and there wasn't anything approaching being a great match on WrestleMania aside from Kofi Kingston, Daniel Bryan. Not only do I think I'm being fair, I, I think I'm being completely reasonable. My personal opinion I would also have the ROH ladder match and the four-way tag team title match ahead of anything else on WrestleMania. In other words, I'd have seven matches from the MSG show on my list if I were listing out the matches from best to worst ahead of everything else on WrestleMania with the exception of Daniel Bryan Kofi Kingston. And me personally, I'd have Daniel Bryan, Kofi Kingston second or third. But I don't have a problem if you think it would be number one. And I would never argue about it. You're splitting hairs at that point between great matches. But you'd have to go through, for me, seven matches on the MSG show before I got to, say, the SmackDown four-way tag, AJ Styles, Randy Orton, or maybe Buddy Murphy, Tony Nese. Those are your next three contenders. I think all seven of those matches I just mentioned were better than all three of those matches. After that, WrestleMania falls completely off a cliff. To be fair, so does this show, but the problem is there's not many matches left. You've got the Bully Ray six-man street fight deal, the Woman of Honor match, Roosh, Dalton Castle, which we can just throw out, just like Samoa Joe, Rey Mysterio. You can throw both of those matches out. They weren't really matches. And then the stardom dark match and, and, and the Honor Rumble. The Honor Rumble, you know, is the same as the pre-show Battle Royals. You can throw those out. 
Although I thought the Honor Rumble was a better match than either WrestleMania Battle Royal this year. Because I thought the WrestleMania Battle Royals weren't good. And I thought the Honor Rumble was at least a perfectly acceptable average match with a bunch of cool moments. But if you're comparing bell to bell, the MSG show wasn't just better than WrestleMania, it laps WrestleMania. It wasn't even close. Even if you didn't like the ladder match, the MSG show had better wrestling than WrestleMania. I mean, we just talked about it. WrestleMania was loaded with average stuff. But just focusing on this show alone. Outside of the experience of being in Madison Square Garden with that red-hot crowd and seeing you know, Okada for the first time and watching him win the title and, and seeing Tetsuya Naito for the first time and have a, just an awesome match with Kota Ibushi and um, you know, Tanahashi Live is always a great experience and the Will Ospreay-Jeff Cobb match, which was as good of an opener as you're ever, ever going to see. Um, you know, outside of the experience and, and experiencing that with 16,000 people, red-hot crowd, sitting ringside, um, you know, this is just, this was a very good show, which I think um, the ROH portion of the show is getting far too much of a proportional it's weighing down the rest of the show um, unfairly I believe in a lot of people's eyes I get it if you hated the Enzo thing I don't think anybody liked the Enzo thing Um, I get it if you hated the the beautiful people thing I don't think anybody liked that I mean no one in the live crowd did Um, but the ROH matches themselves I think are being unfairly dumped on let's go through the card one by one so we had Jenny Rose Hazuki and Kagetsu defeating Hanakamura, Stella Gray, and Sumi Sakai. I don't even know if that's accurate. Was that a six? I didn't. I was settling in my seat. I don't have a big opinion on this. I got to tell you, um, I was settling down in my seat. I was, uh, you know, taking everything in, and I didn't pay too much attention to this. So I cannot give you an opinion on this match. That's a bad job out of me. But look, you know. Had to get settled. So we'll start with the Honor Rumble. Won by Kenny King. The first of three Battle Royals this weekend where somebody hit under the ring and then emerged later. In two cases, Kenny King and Carmella, they won the match. And of course, in the uh, Andre gimmick, uh, that, that, that tactic did not work for the Saturday Night Live uh, weekend update guys. And Braun Strowman, the king of the Battle Royals, uh, won that one. But at any rate... I thought the Honor Rumble was a lot of fun. I thought it was fun watching these huge New Japan stars like Tomohiro Ishii and uh, Minoru Suzuki and Jushin Thunder Liger and the great Muda come in at the end and Hiroki Goto and, uh, you know, and get these great, you know, Shingo, your LIJ guys get all these great ovations. And then, like, random guy from coast to coast comes out to crickets. Will Ferreira. You know, but um, outside of the bottom of the barrel 
Ring of Honor dudes that were in this thing. And I like some of those guys, to be fair. The crowd was hot for everybody else. And I thought that they put effort into the some of the aspects of booking. the For instance, the Rhett Titus stuff was super fun. The, um, obviously, the Liger and Muta thing at the end with Kenny King spoiling it. A lot of people hated that. I thought that was smart. I didn't, I, that didn't bother me at all. Kenny King is a shitbag heel. He wins the match. It fits his gimmick. His gimmick right now is that he, he cheats to win. It earns him a title shot, presumably, for winning the match. And he's been dying to get a title shot. He spoiled the moment and got everybody to boo. And then he got his comeuppance a couple seconds later when Muta spit the mist in his face. People have to get over caring about winning who wins these dopey battle royals. It, it, it doesn't matter. I thought, the, I thought the finish was clever and fun. And a guy like Jushin Thunder Liger, as we know, he is so... He just doesn't care about this kind of stuff. He's probably all about that finish. You guys really want to see Jushin Thunder Liger and the great Muda chain wrestle? Is that really what you want to see? Muda can barely move. We got what we needed out of that segment. They were the last two in. They had their stare down. They locked up. Everybody went fucking crazy for it. And then the heel came in and got some heat. I have no problem with that finish. I don't want anything more out of Great Muda. Okay? I want him to show up in his outfit, blow the mist, stand there and be charismatic. I don't want to see him wrestle. That would have ruined the moment. So I have no problem with the way that was laid out. Anyway, it's the honor rumble. Who cares? Let's move on. Of course, this G1 Supercard review is brought to you by Grapple. The Grapple users had the honor rumble at 2.47. I had it at 2.5. The opener, the true opener, Jeff Cobb versus Will Ospreay. How fucking awesome was this match? You'd like them to get a couple more minutes, but you know what? As the opener, I don't mind. I'll take the 13 minutes. Holy shit, is Jeff Cobb a different wrestler in Ring of Honor? Jeff Cobb delivers in the big spot every single time on these Ring of Honor shows. Doesn't matter who he's in there with. Shane Taylor, Hangman Page, Will Ospreay, three for three. Big win. The huge tour of the islands off the top rope. Will Ospreay was great as always. You can see it in Will's eyes when he came to the ring, how fired up he was to be working this huge match in Madison Square Garden. And this rocked. It doesn't get any better than this for an opener. This is one of the best openers you'll ever see on a pay-per-view. Right up there with all the other great openers that you've seen on page. This is right there with it. Hot action. Great match. I went four and a quarter on this. Grapple. Four point, uh, I'm sorry, 3.94. So basically four. Right on the edge of four for the grapple users. But a tremendous match. And now Jeff Cobb is a double champion. Next up, we had Roosh versus Dalton Castle. This, of course, was the very short squash. Dalton got a tremendous big-time special entrance 
being carried in by the gaggle of boys. Roosh wasted no time. He hit the double drop kick in the corner, picked up the pin, and then they did the big angle where Dalton Castle turned on the boys. So Dalton Castle, listen, this was brilliant. Dalton Castle's banged up. We all know he's banged up. We know he can't go. You've got Roosh who's getting a mega push, and we'll get more on that later based on who won the ladder match. Roosh is getting a mega push right to the top. He gets a strong squash definitive win over a former world champion. They don't wrestle an actual match, so Dalton Castle, who is being held together by tape, gets off the hook from that perspective. And then they do the pivot with Dalton Castle after the match where he turns on the boys, and now his character will go in a different direction. This was brilliant from start to finish. Everything about it. The entrance they gave Dalton, the squash, putting Roosh over strong, which they absolutely should be doing. Dalton's turn after the match and the pivot. No complaints here. Tremendous stuff. I did not rate this. I'm not going to rate a 15-second match. Grapple users have this at 1.18. You know, it's just like Samoa Joe Rey Mysterio. It's unfair. I don't think people should rate things like this. As we move on, the Mayu Iwatani dropping the Ring of Honor women's title to Kelly Klein. Wrapping up their best of five. Klein wins the title. Uh, Not good. Kelly Klein is not good. We all know Kelly Klein is not good. Good for Mayu Iwatani. Got to wrestle in Madison Square Garden. Good for Kelly Klein for that matter. But Mayu Iwatani obviously is much better than this. Um, I went 1.75 on this. Well below average. Grapple users have it at 1.68. So right in line. And then of course the big angle. The beautiful people come down. Um. And they do the big angle and form the new Allure faction and leave Kelly Klein laying. So, dead crowd, nobody cared. The match lost the crowd because it was so bad. And the angle got, nobody cared about the angle. No one cared about Velvet Sky. No one cared about beautiful people. Um, No one cared about the turn. Um, you know, and, and, and the formation of the faction. No one cared. It was the only point in the show where the crowd was dead. Also what hurt it is the final four game between Virginia and Auburn had nine, it came down, there were 19 seconds left and a timeout. And, you know, I don't want to exaggerate, but I'd say 5 to 10% of the crowd Got, either got up out of their seats to go watch a TV monitor or turn the game on on their phones to watch the end of the Virginia-Auburn game while the Kelly Klein-Mayu Iwatani match was going on. So that didn't help either. People were paying attention to the Final Four. So um, th- that's a factor too. I know the person I was with got up and went to watch the Final Four. Uh, the producer, Andrew Rich, says his entire row were watching the basketball game on their phones. I saw a bunch of other people get up in my section when they found out what was going on in the game. So you can factor that in, too. But the uh, the angle uh, didn't get any response from the, from the live crowd. And in fact, as I noted in the first hour of the show, 
Um, while I understand where the company is coming from with this move, I don't think it's going to make any kind of business difference. I think the beautiful people, um, I think the industry has moved on from that type of female wrestler. Velvet Sky is terrible. Angelina Love isn't that much better. Um, they don't add anything from a bell-to-bell perspective. And I don't think, despite the fact that they were legitimate ratings draws many years ago, I don't think that's going to be the case anymore. I don't think this move works from any perspective, not a business perspective and uh, definitely not a bell-to-bell perspective. But Women of Honor, look, I get why they did it. It needs any kind of shot in the arm. It's such a dead division. I've wasted too much time. Let's move on. Bully Ray comes out to interrupt the uh, the rapper that he interrupted in Las Vegas. Uh, Flip Gordon comes out. Then uh, Shane Taylor and Silas Young join Bully. And, of course, Lifeblood, Juice Robinson, and Mark Haskins come out to join Gordon. And we have a New York City six-man tag team street fight. I've seen people dump all over this match. This was fun. Was this some kind of great match? No. But this is an example of, I think, people being too hard on the ROH portion of the card. First of all, this match was over. Bully Ray, and I've told you a million times I'm sick of him, the guy's over. I can't deny it. He gets legitimate heat. It's not even the bad kind of heat. He gets legitimate heat. And with the shopping cart full of weapons and the kendo sticks and the chairs and the tables, people were popping for this stuff. And let me tell you something. Like I mentioned earlier, I do think a lot of people came to this to see New Japan, obviously. But there were Ring of Honor fans in this crowd. There were, there were Ring of Honor fans in this crowd, and the, the people were into the Ring of Honor stuff. You may not have been into it on your little stream, and... Joe Lanza might not have been into it all sitting in his little seat there, but there were Ring of Honor fans at this show, and they came to see this Ring of Honor stuff, and they responded to it. And this was a wild, wacky, ECW-slash-Attitude-Era-style, you know, brawl. And people were into it, and I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. It may have gone a little long, but, you know, I thought it was harmless, goofy fun. Of course, this review, as noted, brought to you by Grapple. The Grapple users had that match at 1.73. So Grapple hated it. And this is the first big diversion I'm going to have from Grapple, really, across both of these reviews. I had this at three stars. I thought it was fine. Again, I have slightly different opinions on the Ring of Honor stuff that that a lot of other people did. So um, I concede that. As we move on to the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Title 3-Way, Dragon Lee wins the title. He pins Bandito, if you're paying attention to politics. Taiji Ishimori, the former champion, avoids the pinfall. My only gripe with this match is it only went nine minutes. And you know, if you shave some time from Bully Ray beating up the rapper, if you shave some time from the six-man match, which really could have been had five minutes shaved from it and not lost a thing, You could have added some time to this. My only gripe is it was a little short. But this was a great fucking match. These guys delivered exactly what I wanted them to deliver. I went four stars on this. Grapple users have it at exactly four stars. It's amazing how I'm pretty much right on the number with the exception of that Bully Ray uh, six-man street fight. Across two shows. I really haven't been that far off. I've been right on the nose on a lot of these with the consensus. 
Joe Lanza, the consensus opinion. But um, this is great. Exactly what you want out of these guys. Some incredible spots. Again, this was better. This match here, which was maybe the third or fourth best match on this show, was better than any match on WrestleMania with the exception of Daniel Bryan and Kofi Kingston. You know, it's getting to the point where I think if there was a legitimately great WrestleMania, people's heads would explode. People can't handle an average WrestleMania without overrating the fuck out of it. Could you imagine if there was a WrestleMania with like six great matches, how, what the reactions would be to something like that? People's heads would literally explode. So we had the four-way for the tag team titles. Grills of Destiny come away with both sets. LIJ was in this match. The Briscoes and, of course, Villain Enterprises who came into the match with the ROH tag team titles. We got the big PCO spot on the apron, which he does every match. He should probably save it for matches like this. Guy's pushing 50. That spot is disgusting. But holy shit, does it look cool. Look, this was a, this, this was a very good match. I flirted going four stars on this match. I had four star fear. I went 3.75. But it was better than that. Grapple users had 3.37. Dave Meltzer had three and a half. All right. Maybe, you know, I was right to have my four star fear. But anyway, that's irrelevant. Whether you think it's three and a half, three, seven, five, or four, this was a fun four-way match. Girls of Destiny come away with both titles. And of course, we had the big angle, which we discussed from a business perspective earlier in the show. I can tell you that this angle had the crowd buzzing, particularly since it happened in my section right in front of me. This had the crowd buzzing for the next half hour. In fact, it did damage to the Zack Sabre Jr. Hiroshi Tanahashi match because most of the people on the floor, at least around me, were not paying attention to the entrances of Zack Sabre Jr. and Hiroshi Tanahashi. They were looking at their phones. They were asking each other if it was a work or a shoot. This had the entire building buzzing. In bad ways and good ways. It really was a surreal scene. The whole you know brawl with the Briscoes and Enzo and Cass. I'm not going to repeat all my talking points from the first hour. As puzzling as it is to me, Enzo is over. And I do think it's going to be a net positive for business. Look, man, I don't get it either. And I want to be wrong. I would love to come on this show in six months and take an L when Ring of Honor house show business is still, you know, not doing well plummeting from the elite era and shows headlined by the Briscoes versus Enzo and Cass are drawing 400 fans to San Antonio. I would like for that to happen. The problem is I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to pop houses. I say they. Cass is, you know, an ancillary part of the act. Enzo is going to pop houses. Much to the chagrin of a lot of people. And if you haven't seen the Briscoes promo that Dave did in response to Gorillas of Destiny, who Gorillas of Destiny shit on this angle 
because they were blindsided by it like the rest of New Japan was. This was a big secret that only a few people were in on. And Gorillas of Destiny were not happy that their moment was usurped by this angle. And they buried the Ring of Honor titles. They buried the booking. And they have every right. The Briscoes responded to that with a promo today. It's on their Twitter account. It's all over the place now. And it is one of the best promos you'll ever see. I mean, this thing is fantastic. So, sort of a side effect of this Enzo angle that everybody hated was they just poured gasoline on the fire of the Briscoe's Gorilla Destiny feud. That is a hotter feud now because of the Enzo angle. No matter what you think of the Enzo angle. So that's an interesting byproduct of this. Again, to be clear for those in the back, Joe Lanza would not have hired Enzo Amore under any circumstances. I believe there's a high probability he burns Ring of Honor at some point. But I understand why Ring of Honor would make this move. I get why some people wanted it, and I get why other people in the room were vehemently opposed. And at the end of the day, I do believe, I do think, Enzo will be a net positive for Ring of Honor business. Zack Sabre Jr. versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. Like I said, the early portion of this match was undoubtedly hurt by the angle because people were still buzzing about the angle. I have not been a fan of the matches that these two guys have. You guys know that. I'm usually the low man on every match that these two have. Whether it was the live bump from sitting there and uh, you know watching it from 10 feet away or whether it just was a better match than they usually put together, I enjoyed this one. I went four stars flat. Grapple users have it at 3.81. So again, right there in the same neighborhood. Uh, Dave Meltzer has it at four stars. So um, now look, that's the funny thing. Like I have this one at four stars. And to me, this was arguably the best match that these two have had. But other people have their other matches way higher than four. And those matches I didn't like. So I think this is a case where Joe Lanza just happens to fall into the consensus when it comes to these two guys for once. As opposed to simply not liking it. So, I don't know. Take all that for what it's worth. I enjoyed it. I thought the finish was great. Um, Tanahashi, when you watch him live, up close and personal, does so many little things that you don't necessarily notice on tape. That could have been why I like this a little better than usual, too. But again... This was better than any match on WrestleMania aside from Daniel Bryan and Kofi Kingston. I, I have no idea why on Twitter, and, and it's not from everyone, it's not from everyone, but from certain circles, I'm getting a hard time for saying that this was a better bell-to-bell show than WrestleMania. I think it's obvious. I didn't even think I'd get any kickback on that. Doesn't seem controversial at all to me. I don't know. Kota Ibushi, Tetsuya Naito. This, of course, is a contender for the best match uh, over the course of the weekend overall. I thought it was the second best match I saw on the weekend. I thought it was the second best match on this show. Um, Just a great, great match between these two. They always have great matches. I went um, 
four and a half on this. The grapple users have it at 4.47, so four and a half from the grapple users as well. Uh, Dave Meltzer had it at four and a half. So this is basically a four and a half star match. Shade below match of the year contender for me, but a great, great match. First time seeing Naito live. I've seen Kota Ibushi live a number of times, but that's never not, you know, special in its own right. Saw Naito live, and, you know, he's another guy. It's just you get a whole different feel for these guys when you watch them live. There's little things that they do that you don't pick up on. And I can kind of understand why these two held back a little bit in their last match. They knew they had this one coming up on the table on a much bigger stage. I thought this was better than their last match. And at this point in the show, I just turned to the person I was with and I said, we're at something. This is a special show. This thing is just home run after home run. And I can't believe I'm here. And I can't believe I'm witnessing this with my own eyes. And I can't believe I almost did not come to WrestleMania. I mean, the indie shows I went to, I didn't think were as good as past years. Although I enjoyed myself. This show made everything worthwhile. This was the best wrestling experience of my life. So we had Matt Taven defeat Jay Lethal and Marty Skrull for the Ring of Honor World Tag Team title in the ladder match. And again, you know, the crowd was hot for this. This idea that Ring of Honor dropped the ball so tremendously on their on their portion of this show just doesn't hold up to scrutiny. I disagree. This match ruled. These guys are insane. Didn't have tremendous psychology. It's a ladder match. Look, you've heard my thoughts on ladder matches. I'm over them. But watching these guys maim each other from the front row, I mean, I, you know, and it was hot. I have turned the corner on Matt Taven. Let me put it to you this way. I said before the match that Marty Skrull should win, and I stand by that. I still say Marty Skrull should have won. I think you belt him up no matter when his contract is up, and then you take the title off him before his contract's up and put someone else over, but he's the most popular wrestler in the company. The crowd responses in MSG back that up. I would have, Marty Skrull should have won this match. And I stand by that. With that said, I have no problem with Matt Taven winning this match. I have turned the corner on Matt Taven. Not turned the corner on his wrestling, but I've turned the corner on Matt Taven's push. Between the anniversary show with the one-hour draw the surprisingly good one-hour draw against Jay Lethal, which had the crowd in the palm of their hands for 60 minutes. And this show, where Matt Taven was not only over, but had pockets of fans all over the building. Believe me, I was surprised. Matt Taven is over. He gets legitimate heel heat, And he has this pocket of fans who love him and love the kingdom. Look, I don't care to watch the guy wrestle either. But I can't knock this. 
This was a long-term build. They paid it off. People love to hate them. And there's another portion of fans that love them. You don't want to do it now, but you could turn this guy in a year or six months and have a baby, a big-time baby face on your hands. Listen, it sounds, it, it sounds absurd coming out of my mouth and hearing it with my own ears, but it's true. I have totally turned the corner on Matt Taven, and the last two Ring of Honor pay-per-views have, have been what have helped me turn that corner. This push has worked. So again, if you're knocking this show from the perspective that Ring of Honor booked it into oblivion and didn't have good matches on their portion, you want to knock the allure? Knock yourself out. You want to be mad about Enzo Amore? No problem. But don't sit here and tell me that these matches weren't good. This ladder match... Look, you might not think it was... Look, it was a good... I went four stars on this thing. And, 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 it, and the building was hot for it. Grapple users, 3.12. So I'm way above the grapple consensus here. Call it the live bump if you want. But Taven won, and Marty Skrull had a ton of fans in that building, and I was it, it did not get the groans or the negative reaction of, we're mad about this result, that you would have thought it would have gotten before this show. He got good heel heat, and there were a lot of people. I was sitting in my section with a, a large group of Kingdom fans. Madison Square Taven. We've all seen that picture by now. Look, I get it now. He's not for me, but I understand why the company, you know, pushes this guy. Running short on time. Okada... We're going to punt NXT to the overrun. So, NXT is going to the overrun. Okada, Jay White. Again, this match was special for me. Um, I went four and three quarters on this. I thought it was the best match of the entire weekend. I thought it was uh, a brilliant match structure paying off on months and months of storylines. Okada finally beats Jay White. He was ready for Jay White's crafty counters. He was ready for Gato's bullshit. The crowd was hottest. All night for Okada, Okada's the, the Okada chants were the loudest thing in the building all night, so the crowd stayed hot for this. I thought the match was awesome. I thought the closing stretch was phenomenal, but you're always going to get a great closing stretch out of Okada. That's a given. And this was a great match with a great story, paying off months of storylines. The two Rainmakers, which he will bust out occasionally when he really wants to put someone away. He was ready for Jay White's counters this time. This match was a a natural and perfect extension of their Wrestle Kingdom match. So again, if you were invested in the story and invested in the wrestlers and invested in the promotion, you're going to think this match was better than someone who was just parachuting in on it. Although I think it was a great match either way. 
But if you picked up on the storytelling nuances and all of that sort of thing, it's going to raise it up to, to, uh, to another level. And it did for me. I went four and three quarters on this. Grapple users, 4.24. Dave Meltzer, four and three quarters. Cage match, 4.3, it looks like. So, again, there's a lot of people seemingly in my bubble who are saying they didn't like this match that much. I don't know. A lot of other people really, really did love it. I, I don't know. So, look, the Jay White thing, I get it. A lot of people just can't get into Jay White's stuff. So, I think that might have a little something to do with it. Also, the end of a five-and-a-half-hour show. I will say this. I was at the Ring of Honor show last year, and I was at this show this year. The show last year, couldn't wait to get out of there. It, it was endless. An endless six-hour show with people waiting by the exits for the main event to end. This show, a fucking breeze. I could have sat there another two hours. This was fun. This flew by. Nothing dragged. Just a phenomenal experience sitting there in that building for this. Compared to last year, where the show was basically the same length and everyone was waiting in the exits during the Marty Skrull Dalton Castle match for the show to end. So anyway, I'm up against it. I'm sure we'll talk more about this show and Okada's big title win. I can't believe I saw an IWGP heavyweight title change in front of my eyes in Madison Square Garden. It's just unbelievable. Sure, we'll talk more about it with Rich uh, next week or on one of the overruns, but uh, I'm up against it. So, um, the MSG show. Tremendous show. And I will catch you guys on the Thursday TV reviews. I don't know when that's going to be out, but it's 100% coming out. And uh, Rich is going to cover NXT, Bloodsport, and a whole lot more on the overrun. Take care.